Hello. This fucking episode. Yep. This fucking episode called The Final Messenger, a.k.a. The Beginning and the End or Knocking on Heaven's Door, first broadcast on March 13th, 1996, with a script by Akio Satsukawa and Hideaki Anno, directed by Masayuki, with storyboards by Masayuki and Hideaki Anno. This is Sync Ratios, episode yep. 24. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Piotrowski. Yeah, and I'm the other one, Ben Collins. It's just the two of us today. It's just the two of us, and this is—we've been joking about Kevin Phillips, our our sort of our third Mike, being the Kauru of the show because we kept yep. trying to get him on, and we expected him to like pop up just at the last minute and be really important and then disappear. But ironically, he showed up before, yep. and this is the one episode he's not <laughs> here for. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, to be fair, Kevin, you know, we all got to work, and uh, he's. Uh, he's traveling and working he's got to go to the toronto film festival with the fucking videos that he was making instead of being on this podcast to, to begin with come talk about cartoons kevin what are you god it's 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 some fucking bullshit <sighs> but like he's uh yeah we're gonna get him back um are we well we it just de- depends on i mean we gotta have him back for the interview EOE. Yeah. yeah i think that's the goal i like the to very call least. it eoe but so you know if all the you know, Kevin Phillips fans out there, if you're bummed he's not here, you know, those, so so are we. <laughs> those Kevin Phillips stands. Mm-hmm. I only listen to this show to hear I mean, the I would. calm intonations of <laughs> Kevin Phillips' voice. Well, he's the cool one. He is the cool one. You know. Uh, but anyways, it's just me and Luke. and You're the Joker. A... He's the cool one. I'm the alpha. Right? Yeah, I guess that's, I think that's what most of the fans would agree. <laughs> oh, boy. There's a lot yeah. to take apart here. Yeah, it's kind of just as well because I, oh. a lot of this is going to be me asking you questions. And I'm going to do my best. To make sure that... But this is this but is a good example of... No promises made. Of, you know, as we said before, this is... A lot of what this is is us forcing ourselves to articulate and try to understand the stuff. most mysterious. The, yes. I don't want to spoil too much about the... The next two episodes, the two-part finale. I mean, I'll warn you. Honestly, I think all the spoilers leading up to this has been the episode we've been trying not to spoil. Yes, in a lot of ways. Well, that's what I was gonna say because, like, the it's, it doesn't give anything away, and you're gonna be happy to know this. And I would always tell everybody who I showed the show this is the the movie End of Evangelion is structured as two episodes that serve as I don't want to say a replacement, mm-hmm. but a different version or different telling of the final two episodes. So end of Evangelion is going to pick up immediately after the end of this episode. This episode. God, so it would, be, it would be so interesting. I mean, you can't do it. It's a test that can't be. It'd be so interesting though to to literally see what it would be like to go from this episode straight into end of Evangelion. It's true. I would be really curious to know what that would yeah, be I like. I guess I've never done that. Um, so the next two episodes of the finale are, you know, Gainax at their most strapped for time and cash and coming up with an inventive way to end the show. And that was the end of the show for a mm-hmm. while. And we, we'll talk more about this when we get to the end of Evangelion episode. But I just wanted to say the last two episodes are very thematic and abstract and there's a ton to talk about, but it's more about how you choose to read it. And it's more like, uh, you know, literary analysis and mm-hmm. just, uh thematically digging into things yeah this is a show that's wrapping up plot elements and it's sort of like the, the one in between the two where the plot gets the most complicated and it's sort of the bridge into the purely abstract so like it's just the hardest one to talk about and the most mysterious mm-hmm. because while the last two episodes are more mysterious in some ways of like what exactly is happening yeah. 
Um, this one is still has one foot in the realm of really plotty stuff. Yeah, and that's the literal and, world. And they're dropping a lot of shit. I mean, we paused it. You know, massive, we, massive drops of information. Yeah, and and, and so it's so a we while we were just watching it on the the platinum edition dvds director's cut um when that's going to be relevant to in talking about stuff later it like we were pausing it to like replay things or to like talk amongst ourselves and try to figure it out because the it's matt when i say massive information drops it's like um it, it's done in such a subtle way mm-hmm. like it, it'd be, be like you know you you <laughs> like you're, you're, you come home from school and your mom's like, you know, so how is your day? Everything going on? Right? Oh, your dad and I are getting divorced. Um, can you feed the dog? Mm-hmm. Just dropping a huge bomb. And it's yeah. like, wait, what is that? What does that mean? There's huge implications to what you just breezed over. Well, why don't why, I, it tell, maybe I'm wrong, um, but why don't, is it worth it to say, to talk about how you specifically have been tearing your hair out? <laughs> Over this, this so this is at the very end of the episode. There's a thing that the reveal of the, the white giant. Yeah. So why don't we fucking just why don't we lead off by talking about that? Is there's, that crazy to do? No. There's there's two. There's <laughs> there's two progenitors of life. Yeah. Adam. Uh huh. And Lilith. Uh huh. And what is on the cross in Terminal Dogma mm-hmm. and the LCL plant the big, is big fleshy white you know Stay Puft Marshmallow looking thing. Yeah. That we've been trying to you know, keep the angels away from this whole time is not as we've been led to believe mm-hmm. Adam. It is not Adam. And thank it's not God Adam. Finally fucking say it. And I can finally yeah. talk about <laughs> Lilith. That is Lilith yeah. on the cross. So, because, because, because of, of Adam prior to all this, we knew it was the briefcase thing. Right. We, we were told that earlier on when this Kaji, Kaji's introduction, light, Kaji brings that thing. And and it's like oh that embryo it's thing, like a fetus. Yeah. And then later That's, we saw the white thing, and then that was identified as Adam as well. And in the connection between those two things was like a, oh I don't know I guess it grew or something like I don't I don't know like in, in but this mm-hmm. whole time that has been a deception that I mean I don't know. And we see what know. happens to Adam. Did you catch it? Yeah. <laughs> it comes by quick. Yeah. But you I mean, see that so embryo, yeah. that little embryo that was in mm-hmm. the thing that Kaji brought is now embedded in gendo's palm in a very cronenbergian um you know infused with him mm-hmm. and yeah. that's what as you pointed out i mean uh, you know gendo always wears gloves so um yeah it's real easy to keep that hidden so we assume that he probably you know fused that guy little guy <laughs> to his mm-hmm. palm pretty quickly after obtaining him like i mean he, he wore the gloves because he burned his hands opening yes. the entry plug to rescue ray prior to the show's beginning that we mm-hmm. see in flashback but so it was convenient it's a convenient excuse you can just imagine the scene where gendo's like he's like sitting there with the embryo thing on his desk and he's like how how do i embed this into my body so that i well i did i do wear these gloves all the time do you think no one will notice oh excellent <laughs> excellent gendo <laughs> it's a brilliant brilliant plan good work gendo <laughs> Nailed yes. it. <laughs> Gendo's piece. He's definitely a guy who thinks to himself in third person. I was going to say, do you think that Michael Jackson had an embryo of a godlike alien creature embedded in his palm, and that's why mm. he wore the sequin glove? Yeah, the Elephant Man. And the Elephant Man. Oh, the- yeah, well, because he famously had the Elephant yes. Man skeleton, so I think maybe he had like a Jurassic Park type situation Big. with the Elephant Man's bones that he was trying to grow the Elephant Man in his hand. And that'll be that'll be where we stop Michael Jackson jokes. <laughs> yeah. That's the end of that. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> no, so Adam and Lilith. Okay. Yeah. They make references to mm-hmm. the white moon yep. and the black moon. Yep. Um, I can't remember who they said. I mean, we'll get to which it was which. Read the whole thing again. Yeah. Yes. But they talk about Lilith being the progenitor of humanity. Yeah. Which, the Lilin yeah. or Lilum, mm-hmm. depending on your translation. <laughs> yeah, and that's all we've been on that rabbit hole in the past. And the angels are the progeny of Adam. Mm-hmm. So what we have here, what we've kind of been witnessing this entire time, is a battle between two races? Yeah. I mean, almost like... Um... Almost like species, uh, but like two two inheritors, like two two inheritors, sort of like like uh, like like Jacob and Esau in the Bible or something. Yeah. Who like, is the rightful inheritor yeah. of yeah. the earth? Is it the angels born from Adam, or is it the Lilim humans born from Lilith? And if Kauru, mm-hmm. who is actually Tabris, the oh yeah, final messenger, the seventeenth angel. Mm-hmm makes contact with Lilith on the cross there, it will wipe out humanity. And the angels will secure in a somewhat the future for themselves. Specified way. It doesn't I mean is it just is that just third impact and it just completely I guess so. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, he doesn't say. Okay. Yeah. And obviously there's gonna be stuff we see in Eddie yeah. Evangelion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just but, making sure that, that wasn't yeah. Yes. So now I can't remember so it seems like there are two I don't want to call them aliens, but two beings that came to Earth, one in a white moon and one in a black moon. One is supposed to be here and one is not. And I mm-hmm. believe he does say that the angels are the right, or the Sele says the angels are the rightful successors, like the rightful yeah, species. Because we're getting, yeah, this is, okay, so I, <laughs> there's, 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 I don't know, five or six of these scenes wherein somebody says, so, so a lot of the stuff is, is confirming things we already knew in a really casual way and other parts are things like that where it's like, we'll get scenes where we're like, Okay, wait. How the what? This is that means that they've been trying to do this the whole time, or that means what they've been trying to do. So we'll maybe try to go somewhat in order. Somewhat in I order. Mean, like, can we stop for a second and mm-hmm. talk just about the biblical allusions that Adam and Lilith? Obviously, yeah. Which obviously, is, Adam. Everybody knows Adam is the first man mm-hmm. in the Bible, and L- Lilith is is an is is part of apocryphal mm-hmm. books that uh, uh, that. Uh, Agnostic Gospels or Catholic? Like I'm not the, sure what which apocryphal book it's in, but the shorthand of it is that in apocryphal texts there is a story that Adam had a wife before Eve. Yeah, <gasps> a secret life he didn't he didn't tell her about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Eve, I mean, uh, Lilith was the first wife, and she was too willful and would not obey him. Mm-hmm. Is there even stuff about her wanting to? be on top during sex or is that from uh, something else i think so we should have looked this up first it's, but that she would not be submissive yeah this this is figure of the jewish mythology mm-hmm. developed the earliest in the babylonian talmud i'm reading off wikipedia talmud okay. um uh envisioned as a who is sexually wanton steals babies blah blah blah, blah. well because afterwards they bastardized her but i believe yeah. in the story she yeah. just doesn't want to obey mm-hmm. adam and is thus exiled from the garden where she goes off i believe into the land of nod where she eventually meets cain and the two of them copulate and have offspring and that's where you get giants and monsters and all sorts of other nasty creatures 
that in apocryphal mythological texts are called Lilum, and that that was the source of all sorts of those mm-hmm. kinds of uh, evil and malevolent supernatural creatures. I think you're right. I mean, there's too much here to read, but it it, it that's like, the basis. Yeah, of it. and it's and it's, it's yeah. So it's it's very taken with that story. Yeah, and it's been, it's it's a very popular aspect of a lot of uh, uh, you know fiction and and and. You know, well, it's the juiciest idea—the fact that there was a, a wife before Eve who was too willful and thus was condemned. Like, if, oh, you're, yeah. if you're looking to uh, sort of take down the uh, patriarchal, which is why I think it's uh, in a lot of, of genre fiction stuff yeah. that is interested in—it's in, a way to sort of take know. back through, via mythology to sort of take back or rewrite or re-examine and uh, uh, critique again some of the more antiquated patriarchal mm-hmm. underpinnings of established religious I mean, you know, uh, communities. I mean, there was, uh, I mean, I feel like... That's why Lilith Fair is called Lilith I, Fair, I was going to say, that, that, for most people, that's the first time you heard of it, probably. Yeah. Lilith yeah. Fair, for those of you who don't know... I mean, how long? It was like 20 years ago? It was in the 90s. It was like Woodstock, like a feminist Woodstock or something? Yeah, it was a kick-ass music festival put on by all women. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sarah McLachlan, <laughs> yeah, referenced again. Previously referenced, yeah. Uh, who else was... was? I mean, I think just kind of like everybody who was popular at that time. Yeah, was but it was... Like, um, Fiona Apple, I think, was a yeah. big part of it. I can't remember Tori's who... Tori maybe the. I don't know if Tori was a part of that or not. She might have played, she but it was like founded by, you know, is it maybe the Indigo Girls? But yeah, uh, I mean, I it's all the music I listen to. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, if I was like it's a little a convenient bit older, catch-all. I'm sure um, I would have been at Lilith Fair. Um, but yeah, but the, just and they picked that name obviously for a reason. Is you know that that you can sort of find a figure of empowerment <laughs> in in it's Lilith. So good. It's like just, of course this is, the, this is the best like. Um, most pointless uh, tributary we've gone down, but the main stage artist, Says you. <laughs> main stage artist in 1997 Hit Lilith me. Fair. We're talking Sarah McLaughlin, Cheryl yes. Crow, Tracy okay. Chapman, yes. Jewel, Paula Cole, Jewel, yeah. Suzanne Vega, Mary Chavin Carpenter, Fiona Apple, Joan Osborne, The Cardigans, Emmy Lou Harris, Lisa Loeb, Indigo Girls, Sean Colvin, Meredith Brooks, Tracy Bonham, Holy India Re, Natalie Merchant. That's just the main stage. Holy <laughs> shit, and, man! You know, on our on our 90s uh, like you know feminist music podcast that we can start when we were done with this one holy shit we can quiz each other to see if we can do if you can name a song from each of those because i'm pretty sure i can oh i love a lot of those songs what was meredith brooks's song pop quiz wait meredith meredith brooks or is that the i'm pretty sure i know the answer but let's see if you can do it no i don't i know meryl bainbridge uh it's meredith brooks did she do bitch oh of course (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a goddess. I'm a mother. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, this is very mm-hmm. appropriate for the. Yeah, we're tying it all together. Yeah. All right. Good job. You passed the test. I put you on the spot like an asshole. No. I no. picked that one because I knew it was slightly obscure and I knew the answer. No, it was bitch. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I am ashamed. Uh, all right. For anyone still listening. So, <laughs> <when> you- <laughs> <laughs> somebody out there is excited. I know there's some kindred spirit out there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, look. If you if you don't like one of those artists I just list, fuck off. Wait, we did, was Tori on there? Did you say? Uh, yeah, she was on there. Fuck yeah, big Tori Amos fan here. Um, but that's oh, wait, all to oh, say. Wait, shit, no, she wasn't she on wasn't? that one. She was on a later year, I think. Okay, because I saw so she's in the main. Article I wouldn't thing. put it past Tori to not be involved in that for some reason. Yeah, I think she was. She was. She played. She did play at Little Fair, but not at the 1997 okay. one. 
Okay. I didn't want to be wrong. Fair enough. Um, but I just wanted to, yeah, I did. I mean, I assume most people know about Lilith of this day and age. I did not. This was, I mean, I, I guess I'd heard of in Lilith Fair, I did hear about where that came from, but I didn't really connect it when I first saw Evangelion. Mm-hmm. That was part of my discovery of that and that, uh, you know, has been a huge part of my DNA and finding like Neil Gaiman stories exactly. and a really excellent uh, Sandman issue that details, you know, Eve and Lilith and an unnamed previous wife of Adams that is apparently oh. also apocryphal. Really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, she's even sadder because she didn't get a name. Um, oh, maybe I have heard that. Maybe yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the story that. is that Adam watches her be built. So he sees her oh, insides and, and it's, he can't and be attracted to her. Disgusted he, by yeah, her. Yeah. No, I remember Adam, that real, real dick. Which I, I guess it's interesting because I don't know how the use of those, as we've, as we've oft repeated on this, uh, like the use of names from Christian mythology, you know, biblical or apocryphal or otherwise, like I, I don't know if there's any point being made you know, like, because I mean, the, other than uh, you know, originators of life on this planet, yeah, and and the weird thing that we you know is that Ava is is Eve, mm-hmm. so the whole triptych here is represented. But it's but even in that, if you were to tr- if you were to 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 say that there was some sort of um, comparative mythological construct, it is not the movie be Mother, that, where yeah. where there is a one to one. Very simple and clear. Once you see it, allegorical stand-in for each thing. Well, because if it was if it was to be that, then you what you would say is that humanity was born from Adam, and that the angels were born from Lilith, and then the right. e- you know what I'm saying because right, it's a exactly. humanity makes the Eva, the the Evas, and then there that this yes. is like and it's like but no the idea that the the Lilins make the Evas it doesn't actually I mean it doesn't track with the sort of idea of this as a kind of like mythological love triangle as it were right. So it's it's or any sort of like modern sci-fi retelling of biblical stories or mythological. Stories. It I guess unless, it doesn't work as a, in any sort of one-to-one way. Well, know? unless unless you're unless unless you're basically saying unless you want to look at it as if humans were born from Lilith, then that's sort of would further support the idea that we are the kind of um, you know we were the real monsters all along, Luke. I think that is what the I show think it is, is positing. Is so that, that's and that's in that, that humanity is not supposed to be here. This yeah. is really the world is supposed to belong to the angels, and we came. And this is not to jump ahead, but Karu's choice of mm-hmm. well, I'm going to let you kill me because you are beings, or you are a being, mm-hmm. and all of your brethren should be beings that continue to exist. So I'm giving it to you. I'm dying mm-hmm. so that you may live. But it does seem to be that we are. You know, humans are not supposed to be here. So that's probably the extent of it. Right. Um, in terms I do of think it is possible that the conceit of the show is in the same way that something like, you know, uh, that the religious texts, the Bible and apocryphal texts and all these things referencing these names are all bastardizations of the truth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so it's like, oh, they got some of the stuff where, like, it's like a game of telephone. Like, mm-hmm. you, you have a, a story like Beowulf that's passed mm-hmm. down in the oral tradition. Oh, yeah. is, <laughs> you know, there's all these ver- regional variations of it. <laughs> it's, it's always got a big laugh out of the Beowulf things where they so obviously, like, the scribes that were, like, the monks writing it down just exactly. added in. You know, it's like, he slayed the beast and it's all this fucking gnarly awesome shit. It's like, and then he raised his hands to the glory of God, thanking him for the power. And you're just like, what? That doesn't really make any 100%. sense. It's like, yeah, because yeah. what happened is it's an oral story. <laughs> As an oral tradition is passed around by the Anglo-Saxons, they're not writing shit down. They're out fucking up dragons yeah. and like winning battles and finding immortality through their great deeds. But who writes it down is the monks, and so yeah. they make it into Christian propaganda. Mm-hmm. So the only version of the story that we have is a compromised version. Yeah. And so if it were, if the truth behind reality and human existence was, we were the progeny of this giant yeah. Pillsbury Doughboy that crashed in a white moon onto our planet ages ago. And there were texts that were written about that. There were things that had, mm-hmm. but it became obfuscated and the story was degraded over mm-hmm. time and changed and blah, blah, blah. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls that Sele have are the truth. And the Bible is like a copy of a copy of a copy mm-hmm. of a copy of those Dead Sea Scrolls and the actual story. Or it's, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, or or it's like the idea that like, like Sele and everything were controlling the truth of all this and sort of you know maybe like you know allowing for this kind of fictional version sort of like a psyop thing or whatever to float into the cultural consciousness to distract allowing a little bit of truth to be a part of you know the cover story which is always how it actually works and that's that's why it's you know yeah anyways i'm not gonna go off on conspiracy theories i think we're on to something um but yeah so okay where to now because that that was the biggest craziest thing to in, well, no, I guess it's not. It's not even the craziest no. thing in this episode. It, it's, it's, but it's the thing that it's the thing that like we you, like. I mean, we could have done this a lot of different ways. And there's still some of this stuff that I'm pulling a little bit from End of Evangelion that like it, it'll pay off there. I'm not spoiling anything. I'm kind of just preparing you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, because it's not made any more clear, but it is referenced again, and so yeah. I mean, it's there's as far as the plot is concerned. Like like this 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 the plot of Sele and the real meaning of the thing and Adam, I I'm not gonna say you can't be spoiled from the here on in. It's just that you, you will have yeah. such a hard time following. Even if we said what would happen, it's not gonna. You'd have to watch it to even and you you won't understand it. But it's like you. So yeah, like things move. This fast. was the big thing that. God, I wish you know. Kevin was here. I know. I feel terrible. I want his take on all this stuff. I know. Um, because I feel like I should maybe talk about the the geofronts. Oh, how in what way? The white and the black moon. Oh, are what form the geofronts? Oh yeah, fuck. That's no. why there's only two of them: the one in Antarctica and the one yes. in Japan. Yes. And Did you just... and the moon, our moon, uh-huh. I believe. You know the the lunar moon is supposed to be something that like came out of the Earth during first impact. Okay. And it's been orbiting since that i'm not entirely Wait, sure where did you get did you just pull this out of your <laughs> uh i don't think i can't remember if i've of, ever heard of this the 20 something years that i've spent yeah. <laughs> reading up on evangelion um i believe this is talked about in the in the chronicle mm. um but yeah the idea is that the geofronts were formed during first impact and that was there was probably just one of those moons was supposed to come it's very prometheus if you've seen prometheus yeah this thing was supposed to come here whether it was sent by something else and there's apocryphal and I mean apocryphal in the sense of Evangelion lore. <laughs> there was a video game, a PS2 video game, oh, yeah. that was sort of a role-playing game that did the story 
of Evangelion, but you were rewarded with supposedly canonical information that told you, revealed the secrets of Evangelion. And they supposedly <laughs> talked to Guy Knox and Anno and interviewed him to form this stuff. So there's this whole thing, and you can Google it. I don't, this is, you know, second or third tier canon, though, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. of something called the first ancestral race, which were the things, basically the godlike aliens that were sending out, sort of like the engineers in Prometheus, oh, wow, okay. to seed planets with life. And that this planet Earth was supposed to belong to the angels, who I believe are from the black moon. I may be getting my blacks and whites confused. But instead, another moon came, two moons based, a clerical error, <laughs> sent two moons to the it's same planet. It's a bottle confusion there. It's and, a classic. Uh... And we are left with two warring, you know, inheritors of the planet. Interesting. But that's why, yeah, there's the, the two geofronts. And we'll see more about the geofronts and the, the egg of Lilith and the black moon mm-hmm. uh, coming up. All right. Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the, uh, but then I guess it's a, so to, to pull back from all the intimidating amount of information, um, you know, this is the this is the episode where, like, Shinji, you know, flirts with a dude i mean that's, yes. that's, that's this the, is a whole other uh basket of yeah and i and i i i, I want to open yeah this this got a lot of attention on on twitter um after the netflix release and so that's why i specified at the beginning we are continuing as we started uh, watching the platinum edition dvd set and there was a translation difference um in the netflix thing and it caused a lot of controversy when it first came out now neither you nor I have watched this episode on the Netflix thing yet, right? I mean, we've seen the no. screenshots. We know what the change is. It was very, um, you know, enumerated uh, endlessly online in a lot of debates. And you and I kind of stayed out of it a little. You know, I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. feel like commenting. Um, and I don't really want to... I don't really want to voice the concerns. I mean, I feel like on the, we can talk about it from our perspectives in terms of like in reading this episode as we just watched it. Uh, we have talked about maybe doing a sort of sidebar episode where we um, like a friend of ours that that can speak, you know, to some of the more complicated, um, nuanced uh, aspects of what that uh, translation change meant. Right. So I can I, I say from a queer perspective, is that I think that's how you would say it. I just we just don't want to we don't want to say anything stupid and I'd rather have somebody else who 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 basically was articulate a friend of ours uh, was was talking at length on Twitter about it when it happened and I was like great I would like to have and expressed concern over the translation yes. change yes right, exactly right. so yeah. I don't want to be here as two straight white guys saying like look I think this is all a valid change and this is you know and yeah this, I, is, I, this doesn't change anything yeah and have you know. Uh, it's not our place to say. Nor do I want to paraphrase the, the the specifics of the personal, you know, emotional attachment and the notion of that. I mean, look, we feel very comfortable paraphrasing the intentions of uh, Hideaki Anno and his incredibly com- <laughs> complicated uh, creative project. But when it comes down to this stuff, that people were getting really angry, and I and I want to I want to give I want to give that its due uh, on the show, and so we'll we'll see if we can do that uh, really soon here. So we're going to talk about in terms of like as we always do you know narratively and character yeah, and how we remember and, it and why yeah. we see it now and stuff like that but so the, yeah we will be looking for and trying to engage with someone who can you know speak from a more personal uh point of view of what exactly you know how important that that line might be for yeah. people who are not us so you know so in the episode we're, we're picking up right where we left off before sort of we get a flashback of. Of Asuka, which I think mm-hmm. is a scene that we saw in the director's cut version yeah, of it is. Uh, Don't Be, mm-hmm. period. 
Um, but she's saying different things this yep. time. Uh, so, and then obviously before the director's cuts existed, this, this was the first time you saw that clip. So, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I definitely yeah. had in my mind and I was a little confused as like, my understanding was that scene was she was rushing to tell her mother that she'd been chosen as an Ava pilot. And then when that didn't happen in the thing, I was like, I guess I just made that up or assumed that. I don't know why I would assume, but here is the scene playing mm-hmm. out. So this is... It's just different, yeah, different text and audio yeah. laid over the thing. Uh, so, Which is interesting that they're choosing, that Asuka's chosen as an Ava pilot when she was looks to be quite young mm-hmm. right, when her mother killed herself. Well, that's you see her at the funeral and she's very young. Whereas like, <laughs> no one told Shinji Jack shit until he shows up and was like, oh, by the way, there's giant robots you're supposed to pilot it. Well, because he's but, Harry Potter. Yeah, but Asuka's been training since mm-hmm. she was... When, you know, and that's why eight. this... I mean, and that's why this all means so much more to her and that's why she's so devastated at her failure. And yeah. that's when we see her, when we cut into the present into the thing. Well, she's also devastated because she found out that Kaji has died. And yep. so her mother committed suicide. Kaji's dead. All that's left is these gaggle of assholes mm-hmm. like Shinji and Misato and Rei, who she doesn't care for. And we, anyway. And we find her. Well, the coffee, I want to call it the coffee pot okay. on the floor. There's also a director's cut thing. We're gonna see that coffee pot get knocked over later. Just there, are, there are hints of end of Evangelion um, mm, okay. sequences at play in that brief little flashback of I don't believe that Kaji's dead. Yeah, and then when we find we her, she service. is uh, sitting. Yeah, the the, sec- <laughs> the sexiest. Uh, you know, no, it's just, she's sitting nude in a seemingly empty bathtub in a what appears to be Trashed. condemned or abandoned house. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, because what happened is at the end of the previous episode, Ray yeah, sacrificed herself, self-destructed yeah. her Ava, and it trashed a great deal of houses and buildings. So I don't know where she was or if she just, you know, whatever. I think she found this place. Yeah, that's what it seems like. She went to this like. house that was destroyed in the explosion and is in the most depressing way. She's near catatonic at this point. She's kind of talking to herself. Yeah. She's saying she has no reason to live anymore. In a She's filthy useless. bathtub in a condemned house. And then we sort of see some off-screen potentially oh. nerve agents finding her. Well, hey, I just want to talk about the bathtub thing. It's like mm-hmm. in the previous episode, she was oh, like yeah. not wanting to be in the water with them. It doesn't even look like, I mean, it looks like there's like some rust-colored like yeah, it groundwater. <laughs> yeah. It's like gray water. At the, uh, yeah, I don't think she it. was bathing. I think she's just, she's just simulating the action of that. Kind but of. it is sort of this weird perversion yes. and extreme version of Shinji and Misato sitting in the bathtub and having their contemplative moments of you know, mm-hmm. bathing being the, you know, good for the mind is whatever, as Misato says early on. Yeah. And she, and she was rejecting that piece. And then now she's sort of, yeah, you yeah, this perverse version of it wherein she's sitting and just, you know, re-enumerating like how worthless she feels. Trapped um, in the bathtub. Yeah. And then do we to... see this, I think it's a nerve agent is coming to get her. And when we cut back into the thing, um, She's been gone for days. Seven days, they say. Uh, uh, Asuka Makoto were talking. It, it took them seven days to find her. And if you look at the map, you can see the center of the explosion and all the black area surrounding it in this shot where Makoto is talking to Misato. So it's it did a lot of damage. And just to jump ahead a second, that's why Toji and Kensuke and everybody leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shinji makes an offhand comment about this, but saying that all the houses were destroyed, so they've all left. It's a very unceremonious exit from the series for yeah. Toji and Kensuke. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's basically just nerve people that are still here doing their thing. And, and you know, I think, uh, 
Which is why I kept assuming that Pen Pen also got an unceremonious exit from the show, but he he doesn't. This is the episode, as somebody pointed out to oh, us yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, we should probably... Uh, if I can find who that person was. Um, that, uh, yeah, Pen Pen, it's uh, Paco Torres on Twitter, uh, called us out to let us know yeah. that <laughs> that is, is in this episode that Misato tells Pen Pen she's going to send him to live with uh, the Haraki family, with the Hikari's family, class yeah. rep. Which is which is sweet because they and they they did sort of set up that she's a responsible pen, pen, pen pet owner her. and at least she plays with him a lot when she's over there right there's been like other she's always sitting yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you even called it out that mm-hmm. she is you know always she's sitting in he's sitting in her lap mm-hmm. and sort of staring at her in one episode so, so you know it's sad I got, pen pen's gonna be fine pen pen's gonna be fine <laughs> um we'll yeah we'll keep we'll catch back back with that when we get there but yes th- so so then yeah so so this is like this is another like a good uh the, we get this little scene of 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 shinji laying on his back thinking about ray and his mom and you know confirming again the stuff that that's been sort of hinted and then as much as you stuff. can as much as evangelion wants to confirm but like yes he's, thinking he's like oh mother. no wonder i felt so familiar when i met ray because she's my mom <laughs> like, no wonder i thought she looks like a mother when she was squeezing out that yeah. rag because that's a fucking weird thing to think but it's like oh it's my mother yeah uh, so you know i mean i don't even know flashes I mean, of her grave you know at this point i mean you know I mean, I don't know how Shinji's keeping all this shit. Uh, a lot of, lot of, lot of ins, a lot of outs. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know how this this kid's keeping, uh, keeping it together here, but he is somehow, and he's processing the fact that his, you know, that Ray is a clone of his mom, and his dad did that on purpose. <laughs> and, and his, yeah, what, what does that mean? Fuck his dad up. And he to. says, "What are you up to, father?" And then from there we go into uh, confirming another thing that we talked about in previous episodes. Yes. We see Ritsko is being sort of. She's slumped she over in a chair. She confirms that the cat was one that she left in her grandmother's she does. care. Really, like really that important plot stuff that huge we mystery. speculated on for several minutes in an episode. <laughs> but this is this is another. There's like she's like basically being kept prisoner. I guess like thank you know thankfully she has her clothes on this time. Like I, I we, there's not an implication of that, but she's just sort of sitting in a. But there is a weird implication in the dialogue here. Yeah, this oh, so okay. So the actual yes, they do yeah. confirm the cat thing. That was not a joke. But then they also confirm that Ritsuko and Gendo have had some kind of relations, relationship, sexual or or. Yeah, she says not even when you make love to me. Yeah, so they've made love at least once. But there's something. Keep play this scene, and I want to look at the. I wish I could see he was talking, so I could do my Ritsuko voice. <laughs> Yeah, this is so funny with these. I mean, I know these wide shots are designed to not have mouths moving as part of the point, but it does make it somewhat confusing when you don't have the sound on. So yeah, the cat died. She's talking about the cat. Um, uh, Gendo yeah. wants to know why she destroyed the dummy plug system. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah, um, and she says she destroyed Ray, not the dummy plug system. That was her mm-hmm. intention. Mm-hmm. She didn't care about the dummy plugs. She was angry at Ray. Yes, um, but she goes on to say. Well, Gendo is really insistent. Um, she's no longer happy. Yeah. That's why. So even why when you, you make love to me. No longer happy even when you make love to me. Um, and, but then she says, why don't you just have your way with my body like you did that time? Okay, so... I have no idea. I mean, the charitable read there is they had sex one time. You yeah, know, they made love one time, and she's like, "Why don't you just use me like you did that one time?" Because, but, but the fact that, that even when you do, uh, what I what I'm concerned about is that that the, there's some sort of like rapey vibes to yeah, her I, saying like there was one time where Gendo took what he wanted, you know, it did Gendo rape her? Like I don't, I don't. Well, it it it's. 
I mean, yes. I've never thought that before, but I just caught that line and it hit me in, a, in an alarming way when she says, why don't you just, you know, use my body like you did that one time. And it's, it's the fact where she says that time. She doesn't say the one time, that. just to be totally clear of words. And again, we're, you know, this is, we're dealing with, this is the different, different translations of the Bible kind of thing here. So like, you know, who knows, maybe a different translation has it phrased differently and makes it totally clear. But that, that does, it does. <laughs> the Netflix translation is like, I'm not happy. Even when you kiss me, chase Lee on the cheek. <laughs> Why don't you just hold my hand like you did that one time? Um, but no, Why I mean, don't we it, slurp a spaghetti noodle together and meet in the, in the middle. Well, it doesn't. The thing is, 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 yeah, it, it I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. But the, what's weird about it is that it doesn't actually impact the plot at all because no. it's not like there's not going to be some reveal. Gendo for sure. Do what? It, it, would, it would, you know, alter your read of Gendo for sure. I mean, like, the, there's, the, the no, fact there's that no read that Gendo's not a complete No, no, asshole, but the fact but. that the, the fact that Gendo and Ritsuko had any kind of sexual relationship alters your perception of Gendo just because yes. he doesn't seem like he wants anything no. other than to carry out the this crazy plan and with his cloned <laughs> wife and all that shit. He doesn't, like, you know, the idea of Gendo getting, like, you know, he says to Ray, like, let's go get some food, but you don't see him eating. You certainly don't see him enjoying anything ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so the idea that he... You know, like how on earth do these two people even end up? I mean, we've seen the the, the one scene with with her mom trying to kiss him, and it's like it's so awkward. He so. does enjoy when people ask him if they think this is going to work, but he <laughs> he, he does it in secret <laughs> underneath his his gloves. He smirks. But it's it's yeah. I mean, so so to, yeah. to me, it's just like the the reveal here being. This whole time they've had something's been going on between right. them, and and the idea that you're going to reveal that there was a consensual sexual relationship and then throw add on top of it. yeah, but there was also just like one time that he was like, what I don't understand why that how does that impact anything because it's not like you know what I'm saying like there, yeah. there wasn't a consequence to the one time no. it was different. But that I think would it, make is, it, it is interesting that the personal relationships are you know huge revelations are treated in the same way that huge revelations for the mythological you know with huge mythological implications are also kind of <laughs> thrown mm-hmm. out like they'll just be one there are multiple scenes in this episode where there's like a single sentence that's like wait what <laughs> well yeah because i mean i think we had speculated a couple episodes ago with kevin about whether or not there was the gendo ritsuko thing because i couldn't remember exactly how that played out and like whether there i was it. waiting for this line well oh. and I, I had forgotten but of course yes. i remember this now because you used to do this line Whatever. <laughs> it was the one of the few lines that we ever heard in the English dub, and you used to do uh, that voice a lot. So I know this line, but I was trying to be like, was there any implication in the show up until this point, except and for when when they're like, he betrayed you, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And it had there was something about the language of the sailor guys. There's a little bit about her behavior towards him, and then there's the one episode where Misato goes off with Kaji, and Ritsuko sort of thinks to herself like, oh, off into the arms of a man, and blah blah blah. She's like, oh, I guess I'm one to talk, and it. Sort of implied that she was having some kind of fling of her own, and I, and I feel like maybe she has made some comments about being just like her mother or something like that. That that probably implied it because mm-hmm. we had the input. So it's that not, is the like, thing. This is the it is the perfect you know poor Ritsuko being forced to repeat the history of her mother, repeat her mother's mistakes, and just be her mother as much as she didn't ever want to. That's the tragedy of mm-hmm. Evangelion is the people. So there's not. You know, yeah, I mean, so she's, so this is, I mean, there's not much information there other than that. Um, and then, you know, uh, I mean, we're just going through it scene by scene, but I think we'll, we'll <laughs> kind of have to. It's, it's so, Shinji's looking for Asuka. You know, which is, yeah, because they've gotten Asuka back. We haven't seen her since, since the, she was retrieved from her abandoned, you know. And now it's time. Shame cave thing. Shinji's on the beach. It's very he's, romantic light. He hears somebody humming. Humming the the, the mm-hmm. night symphony. Mm-hmm. 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 
We should have replaced the opening theme with just us humming it this time. Oh, we can. But now you've now it's now it's here. Now you know why we chose that song yeah. to be the opening song yeah. of the show. Ugh. And and so 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 it's here. And so they've they've made they made Shinji's hand is twitching as he's indecisive, which is a very Shinji thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of you know lost in thought, staring at the sun as you do. And there's a dude sitting on a rock. Um, dude. Uh, he's sitting on a rock that is, I, this is always confusing to me, this yeah. statue of an angel, apparently. Uh, like, I, I, there were times when I thought, like, is this supposed to be just, like, kind of a rock formation that suggests the shape of an angel? But it seems that it's too angelic to... To it must be some kind of statue. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There must have been an angel statue somewhere in the city. Yeah, like and this a is the remains or something. Of it. Yeah. Got, yeah, but the head is missing, which is yeah. interesting because there's gonna be a headless angel at the end of this episode mm-hmm. too. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it also looks like something from End of Evangelion, which always confused me. Yep. Uh, but no, I think this is just a statue of an angel that's part of the wreckage of the explosion. Yeah, Kaoru found a statue of an angel. And perched there specifically, uh, wanting to be. He's just like waiting Probably all day. Higher than Asuka. Probably mm-hmm. found a higher perch. Because yeah. <laughs> he's her replacement and he can set his sync ratio at whatever he wants. So, okay. I mean, the way this is presented is that he's the fifth child. Yes. Um, that he's, you know. Sent directly from Sele, the instrumentality committee. Yeah. To repl- bypassing the Marduk Institute, but we know Which that we the Marduk Institute shell is bullshit. So. Yeah, uh, but he's been sent directly by them to replace. Asuka. But as far as what Shinji knows in this scene, Shinji's there and he sees this curious guy, and he introduces himself and says that he's you know one of the children that's part of the design, just like you. So he's introducing himself as the new you know the new pilot, and he says you don't have to use any honorifics with me, dude. You can just call me Kaoru. and Shinji's it- like, oh blush you can call me shinji yeah so there's so 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 we read in that 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 there's an immediate he he's very forward and and sort of cavalier with his language and and the the... well it almost feels like this is an answer to his prayers like shinji like this is like it's almost like a like a drop dead friend scenario or something like shinji's standing here staring out at the beach being like Man, I wish I had somebody to talk yeah, to. He's like, like, I can't talk to. Can't Ayanami, talk to. Can't talk to Asuka. And then, like, hears music and turns is like a dude dressed in the exact same clothes as him. Well, and you know, is what's, like you can talk to me. Well, and you know what's funny is that is that the angels come to answer his prayers. Well, there's that, but it's also it's also the only the only other time that this type of thing happens to Shinji is Kaji, right? This is happening. Kaji has a had had a sort of you know slightly comedic kind of way of showing up when Shinji needed someone to talk to it a couple of times you know mm-hmm. like he's standing in the thing and oh just had a very direct Kaji's. callback to Kaji Shinji's slumber party talk yeah uh, in this episode with and, Kaoru and this and so so there's something like we talked before about how like you know Sh- Shinji sort of like was always sort of dismissive of Kaji for like being horny and stuff like he's <laughs> he's always kind of just like oh whatever you you idiot kind of thing but then at the same time because Kaji has this sort of irreverent I mean irreverent cavalier attitude that is not dissimilar from what Kawaru has mm-hmm. is it Ka- Kawaru 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 yeah. we're going to Well like th- there's different spellings Kaoru yeah. would you know 
Yeah, the different Kaoru. Yeah, I mean, well, you can know what we're talking about, but like, but so it's interesting to me that 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 Kaoru shows up here and treats Shinji a little bit like how Kaji did. Because remember the first times that Kaji was sort of like, you know, all buddy buddy with him in a way that like we pointed out that he doesn't have masculine role models. Right. He doesn't have a father figure, and so he. He, he, you know, Kaji sort of cut through some of Shinji's kind of like reserved These quality. dudes with immediate familiarity. And you're even down to the point where I think both Kaji and Kaoru sort of chastise him for being like, yeah, dude, everybody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. the famous pilot of Unit 1. Like It's very similar. It's yeah. very, And it, this is the first time it hit me. And and I don't know how deep we want to go into with the thing, the because the, again, we're, I think we'll probably do this on our special break off episode to talk about the Kaoru, the Kaoru issue. But like, the notion of Shinji's sexuality is good. It comes up here no matter what. Well, and then when, when Kaji like sort of playfully hits on him or invites, you know, offers to buy him a drink or whatever, he's mm-hmm. like, but I'm a boy. Yeah, he, he's dismissive of it. Not in like a, he's he's not like, uh, Shinji's not like freaked out by right. that. But he, he just, does, he does not he ever very tell. He flatly denies, you know, just, yeah, why would you want to. not tell Kaoru I'm a boy. He's just very, you know. Yeah, he blushes here when shyly he. Shyly receptive, he yeah. Says the thing. But, you know, so at this point, so Shinji's made a new friend is, is with the, the content of this scene is now if you take the blush to mean something you know you can but right now that's what that scene is now then we're going to get like some exposition stuff oh, with, with yeah masato and makoto talking oh, and they're his saying, birthday coincides with second impact yeah and there's oh, no background it's like the same as ray there's no background information it's, it's all been scrubbed clean it's the first time they make that you know anybody multiple times in this episode there'll be a connection between you know, oh he's the same as ray yeah and he's even going to say it himself we're the yeah. same so so i mean um, look i mean if you're not if you're watching this the first time and you don't assume at this point that there's something weird about Kaoru, I mean, you gotta. <laughs> like, like right away, I mean, the way he sh- the way he appears, the way he talks to Shinji, he, he refers to Lilum, you know, he mm-hmm. says, you know, about Lilum's greatest achievement as a civilization. Even his appearance, stuff, like, like, I've heard Ray be described as an albino before, but mm-hmm. uh, Kaoru's eyes aren't red, but his hair is more the color of what an actual albino person's mm-hmm. hair would be. Like, it's sort of got this whitish, t- it wouldn't be blue. Like yeah, no, sure. Hair. Um, but there's that connection There's an ethereal too. presence to him. And then and then as soon as they're, they're, they're listing off all the reasons why his, his records and stuff are, are strange and the bypassing the mark, it's like, yeah, there's something up with him. We know that right away. I don't Misato know if Shinji, is suspicious. Shinji doesn't seem to know. Um, Shinji just likes that someone's nice to him. Right. Surprise. That's what he's wanted. Um, and then we, so then we, yeah, then we see in the sync ratio tests that he's got the higher rate, and the, you know, that Kaoru's is higher in the sync. With unit two, without resetting the core, like it's yeah. sort of set for Asuka. It's like if you, man, if you could get in the car and your wife, you didn't have to adjust the seat. Yeah, <laughs> you have a short <laughs> wife like I do. It'd be like, wow, that guy's amazing. He yeah. can just drive the car from sitting like three inches away from the and room. be better than everyone else. Yeah, and yeah, you know, so it, it, like. We know something's going on. Okay, but this scene where Ray uh, uh, encounters oh, yeah. Kaoru, Kaoru's just all about like strolling up and like um, just making everybody really uncomfortable mm-hmm. with his uh, forwardness. Just hands in pockets, just just feeling himself, you know. <laughs> so yeah, Ray's coming up the escalator. She's startled to see Kaoru there. He says, "You're the first child, aren't you?" She's very suspicious of him. Doesn't say a lot. Yeah, Yanami. He says, "You're the same as me." So both of us ended up in the same form as the Lilim. Keep going. Mm-hmm. While we inhabit this planet. What? And she says, who are you? And they cut out of there. So, okay, so there's another huge I'm bomb drop. I mean, we've, we're we're d- 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 referencing Lilim and, 
you know, at that point, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, you know, uh, that he's talking about humans and calling them, calling humans Lilum. And, you know. I'll, I'll jump ahead just to get to the meat of this because they're going to reference it. There's a very important scene that's only in the director's cut where we see Kaoru on the beach and he talks to the Sele monoliths, 15 mm-hmm. Sele monoliths. And they say, again, in this very offhand way, but that he has the salvaged soul of Adam. So, Kaoru is the Sele counterpart to Rey. You know, Nerf has Rey. Sele, the committee, has mm-hmm. Kaoru. Kaoru is a, seems to be a cloned body housing the soul of Adam. He tells Ray, we're the same. We both wound up in the same form as the Lilum during our time on this planet. We can infer from all of this, mm-hmm. plus the fact that Kaoru manifests an incredibly powerful AT field in the fight leading down to Central Dogma or Terminal Dogma. And then they see another powerful AT field, and then we see that Ray is down there. Take all these pieces together, and we can come to understand that the soul that Ray is housing inside of this cloned body that seems to be cloned from Yui Akari mm-hmm. is Lilith's soul. So the same. So, so Ray the, has the soul of. Yeah. Lilith. So the souls and bodies are separate. Gendo mm-hmm. has Adam's body. Kara has Adam's soul. Ray has Lilith's soul, and Nerve has Lilith's body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's it. I think so, you know, he, I mean, so, okay, so we'll, get, we'll try not to break down every single scene because uh, this is hopefully helpful. Everyone, every- <laughs> but you do see the car picture that I talked about oh. in the previous episode. <laughs> this is a, a single shot of Misato's office and you see the South Park style, just like, uh, you know, a stock image of a race car on Misato's wall. And a skateboard. And this has got a skateboard. Yeah. Uh, a box of tissues in the ground. A red baseball cap. This is just some otaku's room. Yeah, this is this is almost like they just like pulled this out of a library of like backgrounds for anime characters' rooms. Uh, um, and this is where you know, I mean, it's yeah, it's worth noting that this is the the goodbye to Pin Pin, which made me kind of emotional. Um, sure. Yeah, we see that Shinji's not staying at the house. Well, she realizes gonna... that you know Asuka's gone wherever Asuka is in the in the hospital. Shinji's not there. She's gonna give away Pen Pen. You know, she's just. Living in the wreckage of her little, her little family. fake domestic life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is important. So, okay, so so, okay, so, so we see we're back in <laughs> in Nerve headquarters. We see that Shinji is just sitting on the ground somewhere, listening to his music. You know, I mean, he's not going home to Masato. We don't know. And uh, Kawaru comes out and says, "Were you waiting for me?" Oh, uh, no, that's not what I was. Shinji doing. blushes. Um, I'm only waiting. Um, and they, they, they're having some chit chat And so Shinji says that he's got to take a shower And go home Kara's But like, I'll go with you But the truth is I don't really want to go home So I think Shinji's uh, telling the truth here I want to go home Probably because of Misato and what she tried to pull Oh yeah no I forgot intended, about that But there's, there's probably a reason Well and just everything the destruction yes. of the city, the the, sure. the, the complete uh, 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 basket case that is Asuka, the knowledge that Ray is his mom. Like again, yeah. he's holding it all together, and the fact that he's just sitting listening to music and kind of translating this all into a lack of desire to go home is, uh, you know, props, man. Yeah. Like the fact that you're not like <laughs> like literally tearing your 
skin off and sure. like raving like a lunatic. I mean, I, this is so much shit for him to be processing. Yeah. Um, but you know, Kaoru is is curious and sweet. You know, he says uh, he says this is a line that I, I flagged that I thought was um, that I thought was interesting because uh, I don't even really know. Um, he says mentions I don't want to go home, and Kaoru says. Uh, I didn't it? catch this. He says, "A place to return to. <laughs> the fact that you have a home will lead to your happiness." Oh, okay. It's a very good thing. <laughs> it's just like you it, compared him to to Data, yeah, and uh, our from Star Trek: Next Generation, obviously. Um, which, yeah, is I think a part of it. it I mean, it, this this is the end of the triptych of angels who have tried to directly uh, interface with humanity. And, um, and we had the one that tried to, you know, invade Asuka's mind. Ariel, the lightning-looking one, uh-huh. looks like a set of wings. Then we had Ariel, the halo-looking one, that tried to infect Ray and share its loneliness with her. And now we get the kind of most successful version of like, well, if you want to interact with humans, you have to present as human, which is a very Jesus Christ-like thing of like God's going to come down and live among humanity. And this will be the way to which. I'm not entirely certain that the other times the angels, like personally, and this is just me, this is just the way I respond, and I'm not mm-hmm. even not claiming this is canon in any way. I'm, for some reason, feel like the angels don't necessarily have differentiated personalities in the way that we think of. I kind of still think of them as being no. Romeo's a real bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's almost like a hive consciousness in different forms, and sure. that each of the forms comes. It, it's like these are each iterations that like. Well, which one's going to be successful? There's a lot of ways that that, that you uh-huh. can fight your way to this sort of success. So it's presenting itself in different forms, and the ones that have had a psychological component. In, in, in their desire or interest or ability to interface with the human mind, I part of me kind of feels like Kaoru is like they re, like like that was him too in a way that it's huh. like okay like well there, I mean it there's didn't some work, weird so connection let's, let's try one see... that is just that instead of a big monster thing that right. also has that let's just try one that actually goes down and does that and because that we've had like there's we've gotten some interesting results from that and guess what we find these things interesting and that it's sort of like a collective consciousness that that breaks a piece of itself off and sends it down here which is another way of saying i mean how it's how does how does how can christ be both god and man it's like well yeah how can kuaro be both this kid right. and an angel well i think that it's kind of like the angel the consciousness of the angel is like a mass thing in this but this is just well, entirely i'll speak the way for and against that notion of okay. you know in the previous episode where we see ariel start to uh infect unit zero and the the angel mass bursts out of its back and we see mm-hmm. every previous iteration of the angels all appearing does suggest some mm-hmm. connectivity between the consciousness or you know between there's a lineage there mm-hmm. that all is expressed there does seem to be some implication, however, on the other hand, that Sele made him, manufactured Karu, and sent him in the same way that Nerf has manufactured Ray and affixed the soul mm-hmm. of Lilith inside her. So as a counterpoint, you know, I see a counterpoint, a counterpoint to your point and also to him being a counterpoint to Ray, it does seem like he's made and sent by the committee. By it the makes, yeah, but if, even if so, though, he's self-aware and Ray is not. 
in in yeah yeah, yeah. in 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 that and because even in that even if he's if you if you if you think of him as being like manufactured much I mean Ray we could say at this point is basically manufactured I mean we saw all the mm-hmm. duplicates and stuff like so so however that's achieved it, it is a a process akin to you know making cans of soup or something like that I I don't how dare you and it well but we also saw her as a child though yeah and so so you have to grow the rays presumably they yeah. don't you know and so i don't was know was there a child karu being raised somewhere yeah, like, was, he just, was he just raised in a facility from childhood you know and the, like you know did, did the sale guys like hey, karu, did your breakfast? like this is like <laughs> like was he taught stuff like does he have or or was he somehow Good was question. he made full we fully formed as a 13 year old 14 year old kid or whatever we don't know he's but cloned way, from a bounty hunter called Django fett yeah <laughs> well he's cloned from he's obviously cloned from kaji <laughs> right yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's a big kaji energy that was what kaji was working you know, he's doing that secret work for sale and part of it was he you know jacked off into a cop and they made a clone of him and then you know that's that's why I, that's, that's there's my spontaneously invented ava theory that uh kawaru is Katsuragi. somehow I have uh, a son. kaji clone yeah water my watermelons and Raise my son for me. I mean, you know, he's cool in the same way. He's friendly in the same way. I would, mm, I'd buy it. Maybe so. I just made that up, but um, but yeah. So I don't think it's weird. But so so they so so what we're getting from this. This is probably the same conversation that he had with Misato when they met in college. <laughs> may, may I join you in the shower? Yeah, probably. I put it past him. I mean, honestly, that's that seems like what Kaiji's like. Like they're like, you know, she's like playing soccer or something like that. It's like, oh, I got to go home and take a shower. He's like, well, I could just go with you. <laughs> it's just like, I don't even know you. Yeah, but what's the problem? Like, Would you like to? But that's what happens here is that he's 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 demonstrating. Yeah, he's demonstrating can... a kindness and interest. Like, you know, everything Shinji says is sort of like delightful and fascinating. <laughs> oh, Shinji, and, you're so funny. And it's like and Shinji's just saying normal. Like, yeah, I need to go home and take a shower. Like, it's the simplest fucking a shower magnificent yeah yeah and 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 he's like can i come with you and shinji's sort of confused um he says yeah you know like you said you need to take a shower like i love showers you know and and what is this shower and they and they go they go do that i mean i guess that they're sort of like in a sauna or something at this point but yeah it was like a bathhouse you know like a public bath but um yeah let's let's and so 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 so, yeah his his innocent energy his just sort of fascination with shinji is extending to this um well he just and he illustrates the hedgehog's dilemma mm -hmm. you know he senses he can tell that shinji's afraid of connecting to other people and you keep other people away you never have to get hurt but then you'll never be able to forget your loneliness and this is kind of the whole thesis of the show is like humans are going to be lonely because that's what it Mm -hmm. means to be human as you're isolated from others um but if you do things, you know, correctly, there are ways to forget your loneliness for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's what interacting with other humans can offer you is the chance to forget your loneliness. This is all really compounded and highlighted and thematically tied into the show in a big way when the AT field is revealed, which happens a few scenes later. Mm-hmm. But I'll get to it now because he talks about it as the, the barrier of your heart, the, the point at which no one else can trespass upon you is mm-hmm. the AT field so he's sort of saying all human beings have AT fields that's what isolates us from each other and that's what makes us feel alone mm-hmm. those are the barriers that we put up so and then that, he touches Shinji's hand and then he touches Shinji's hand and the fun thing here, yeah you were reading this before which is not something I'd ever come across but I think it's you know while well, we're he touches it. Shinji's hand and he touches it like you know on top of it and like a hand holding kind sort of, of grasps way. it like yeah and apparently in the storyboard outlines, it was just he was just supposed to touch his hand, not hold his hand. 
but Masayuki didn't read closely enough and the animator or some, somebody had it be more of a hand-holdy thing and he just okayed it and nobody really thought much about it because there was no time at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's barreling ahead. So even some of the stuff um, that becomes really important to defining the characters was, I don't want to say an accident, but like, okay, the script said one thing, they animated a more full version of it because nobody was double checking anything. They just were barreling forward, which is kind of fun. But I did also see this is very similar to the movement that Miss Sato makes to touch his hand when she's offering intimacy, quote unquote, whatever that means. We had that whole conversation about what, yeah, how much can you read into that or not? Well, how does Shinji react to that? Yeah, "Yeah, Miss Sato, go away. Curls into a fetal position and freaks out. Here he blushes, but he doesn't pull his hand away. He does not pull his hand away. So, you know, we can talk more about, you know, if we do end up having anyone on here to, who want, you know, who wants to, to speak on this. But I think the important thing here, I mean, all this stuff is going to play whether they translate the words key as like or like or as love mm-hmm. or whether it's like the particularly weird thing at the end of the episode where they, they for some reason translate love as worthy of my grace or whatever mm-hmm. convoluted phrase that is. But, you know, even if you played this on silent and you just watch the characters' actions, the homoerotic nature of what's going on here is going to be very apparent. So yes. it still plays for sure. And I think we were talking a little bit about each character here in this scene's perspective on what's happening. And that Kaoru, we do sort of understand, is revealed in this episode to be an angel. Yes. And, you know, like you said, Data or like a myriad of other characters that are taking human form but not human and trying to understand humanity. Starman was another one I liked. Starman, yeah. sure. So when he says, I love you, and when he's doing these things, it does not necessarily mean at least from what we were sort of saying amongst ourselves that like car was like, I got to bone this kid. Like I got to, yeah. this is what I'm after is a sexual relationship or a, I want to date him or anything like that. It is a fascination and an admiration for the beautiful fragility of the human creature because when as he, when he epitomized talks, and personified yeah. by Shinji. Exa- yeah. Because when he's talking about this stuff, I mean, he is speaking generally about humanity and specifically about Shinji, and he kind of goes in and out of those two, those two, you know, uh, uh, but, focal points, and and it's so there's there is a sort of yeah. Anyway, you could do well, that. what I want to say is important is that from Shinji's perspective, Shinji is a fourteen year old boy yes. who has been afraid of Misato in a certain way, confused about Ray, who is you know with good reason because he's ultimately his mother. Uh, he he seems embarrassed by when he you know sees Ray in her underwear, but not aroused in any way. He's completely oblivious to any sort of passes that Asuka makes towards yeah. him. But here, when this guy pays attention to him, a kid his own age sort of focuses on him or tells him "I like you" or "I love you" or just you know seems interested in what he's doing. He's very receptive. Like there's no doubt, you know, blushing aside and like a little stuttering and stammering, Shinji's into it. And yeah. so the read, you know, I just sort of want to flag that of, you know, in terms of Shinji's sexuality, this is something, this is giving him something that he was not getting previously in the series. And whether that's because it's Quaro as an individual person or because of, you know, because he is, it is finally coming from a man his own age. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, and I, cause I, I just want to say that I don't mean to rob the, 
the scene of you know in 1996 in a in a giant robot anime to have any sort of element of homoeroticism you know it's pretty crazy and and a un, a surprising element to find the first time i watched this show is <laughs> showing up in episode 24 mm-hmm. I, I don't want to rob the importance of that in any way by sort of saying yeah but Kaoru's not human he's not this is not they're not gonna like get together and get married or anything like that I, but from Shinji's perspective, I do think it is important. And it is, it is. For fans to, you know, if you're a young gay person watching this show, this being potentially a key to unlocking and understanding a piece of yourself, <coughs> you know, I think that's totally Well, because like you said, it, it literally reads on screen. Like, without any of the words or anything, we are literally seeing what is a flirtatious behavior. And that, yeah, from Shinji's perspective, Shinji does not know he's an angel Shinji does not know Shinji doesn't really have any suspicions everyone else seems to <laughs> yeah um but you know good old Shinji takes things at face value and you know he's he in in it, right it's like if you if somebody and I'm sure that somebody had I bet you can find the essays that 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 you know will go break down how the entire show Shinji you know is actually you know attracted to men but doesn't understand that or like whatever like I'm sure there's different ways that you can look at it and I don't I'm not I don't the show doesn't isn't taking great pains to make that clear at this. What is clear is that Shinji likes the attention he's getting from this person. He is very receptive. To very it, receptive. Yeah. And and is does not seem to be all that concerned where it's coming from, necessarily. No, because like it, I think in 1996 it, or 97... He's not uh, homophobic. If, if this same type of thing happened in, like... I mean, considering that this was, like, a mainstream show in mm-hmm. Japan and, and, and was already becoming a, a, a cultural phenomenon at this point uh, when this episode would have aired. Like, if you'd have a bit like this and like an equivalently large American thing, it would have been purely played for laughs. You know, like uh-huh. if there was something where like where like a, your your male protagonist was being hit on, you know, ostensibly by and didn't understand it, it would it would have been to do like a whoa, dude, uh, like that kind of right. thing. And that's not I mean, it's not to say that there isn't something funny in a kind of charming way about the innocence of this or something, but it's not, this isn't a joke. It's not played for that. And yes. Shinji's not reacting to it in a way that encourages the audience to be like grossed out or something. And that's right. really cool. And I think it's, that that's supporting yeah, it's what just, you're saying. Yeah. It's just fascinating at the, at this time and place and you know, who made this choice and, and why did they, was there, you know, cause these days everything is so performative. It feel like, was there some sort of agenda behind it? But you know, what, what, I don't know that there was an agenda, or but just the the inclusion of this element in a mainstream anime show is, you know, curious. And I don't mean in a bad way, but just like this is a curious choice. Like this is a, this is a bold, fascinating thing to it, do. It, it really, really is, especially at the time. That as far as we talk it. about the show being ahead of its time, on a lot of ways, and this is, I think, one of them. I mean, it's. I don't think. Um, but it's not like it's a champion of it. Like you know, something like which I'm still not. I'm sort of slogging through, but uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena mm-hmm. is sort of more overtly a gay show, and is about a girl who dresses like a boy, and there's like a kind of really a very quasi romantic relationship, and it's all about gender roles, and it's a very forward thinking and strange you know groundbreaking show in that way uh from around the same time but i think it's but this is so evolved to not even to not even have to be about that and to just casually throw this this little seasoning you know towards Mm -hmm. the end like that's 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 cool like i I will say from my perspective at least the first time i watched it and maybe some of it is just you know me growing as uh you know a person so i I can be more you know interested in this i i am frustrated by anything though where a character sort of comes in 
I guess I'm just frustrated by like I like and know Asuka and Rey and Misato and Shinji like isn't I was frustrated that like Shinji just is so into Kawaru so immediately and it's like yeah what about these other people who've been there for you this entire time and you mm-hmm. keep on being like oh Misato I'm scared of you and like oh I know like he's been like his his importance Kawaru's importance for Shinji emotionally when I don't have a connection to him. Like, he just comes in and is this, like, you know... He's like I, Buffy's I sister with the... Like, like Don, yeah. yeah. He's like, but just, like, like, this kind of silly swagger of, like, oh, you know, like, obviously if somebody was saying those things to me, I guess I'd probably react like Shinji. Like, oh, okay, yeah, you're interested <laughs> in me, please. Um, but, you know what I mean? Like, there's, very, there's so little that we're given of him. And so the emotional, like, um, investment on Shinji's part of, like, oh, my God... Karu, you're so great, makes me a little resentful of Karu. Is like, this guy just rolls up and like mm-hmm. all of a sudden Shinji's all over him and thinks he's so great when I don't know who this guy is. I don't necessarily like this guy yet. It felt, I don't want to say it's unearned narratively, but from my emotional engagement made me frustrated with him compared to some of the other characters. Of like, why is Shinji like this motherfucker so much? Like, well, it, I mean, and it had, the, but it got almost because almost it has that, like I remember the first time I saw it being like, feeling like I was supposed to know who he was or that, that, that like, right. that I missed Well, he's been in the fucking credits since the beginning. So. Yeah, and it's and I think that that's probably why, and also the popularity of the character. Sure. I think because of all of everything that's unique and about my, this. My, my take on him they, is much more nuanced now. I don't mean to say, I just mm-hmm. want to talk about my sort of initial reactions to him and my frustration and sort of where I think that's coming from. Because it's a thing in a lot of shows where like, you know, somebody's, oh, somebody's dad shows up. And, like, we're supposed to be all emotionally invested in the dad or the sister or the mm-hmm. long-lost friend. And it's like, buddy, this is in season three. Like, I, th- I think Adama and Battlestar has, like, some old war buddy that shows up in an episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't give a fuck about this guy. I, you know, what about Hilo or Chief? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. these other people that are, that I've known as long, you know, so. But I'm saying, I think that's what, did they, they, they threaded Kaoru in earlier in the Rebuild series, right? They do a better job of establishing this relationship because it's not entirely clear and i'm not going to speculate well no maybe i will i we speculate on everything it's it's not made entirely clear in the sort of lore of the show whether or not uh like Anno and company basically thought of Kaoru at the last you know like was this I mean, you said he's been in the opening credits he's been so in the opening credits he he's, had to have been he's been planned in some form or from fashion from the start I think but if you told me that there was maybe a bigger like lead up they wanted to do that they had didn't have t- I would believe that but yeah, at the same well, time maybe he's if they also were supposed to be trying to get him in literally that the that the Sele has been keeping this you know he's been a sleeper agent in this you know he's, he's or he's been like a you know floating in a fucking tube of LCL in the uh-huh. basement of some other building this entire time and they're like shit break the glass we gotta get Kawara in there and like that's <laughs> and that's what it is there's a reason he just seems to drop out of nowhere and that's yeah. the point like I mean it sure, works sure. it works but it and does and in hindsight feel, it, do, you know. it does work and I mean like one of the cool things about this episode is how many huge swings how fast it moves even for this show that and, and in some ways it's like well this is the first time you're really feeling it we talked about how each show that's only 22 minutes long feels like a full meal. Mm-hmm. This is maybe the only time it feels like you are being rushed through things, but because we're really, you know, spinning out here, like down the, you know, toward barreling towards the end of the show, the clip at which it's moving, it's just, there's something cool about how disorienting it is. Of like, here, this guy shows up and we're in the aftermath of some huge explosion. Oscar's catatonic in the bathtub. And like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's so much is happening and being thrown at you. It does, you know, it feels, yeah, 
yeah, disorienting in in a, in a way that I do find fascinating and effective now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me too. But okay, so picking back a long up. Tangent. No, we're good. Um, so then, yeah, so. <laughs> Invites him like so. What do we do next? I guess go to sleep. Should we go to sleep together? Like, well, because I guess Car is staying at Nerve headquarters, and he's like, and Shinji's like, well, we, I mean, maybe there's like separate rooms or something. Slumber party time. <laughs> Humans constantly feel pain in their hearts because the heart is so sensitive to pain. Humans also feel that to live is to suffer. Damn right. So you're so delicate like glass, especially your heart. He's, yes, is, uh, yes. You have my regard for it. He says regard. And it says it means I love you, right? And that's so. That's so. That and that is that. That's, that's the scene, right? That's the controversial scene. It's that, scene. and then the scene on the beach with um, Misato at the end when okay. he says, and this is the more important thing, which he's he tells Misato, Karu told me he loved me. Nobody's ever told me they loved me before, mm-hmm. and that's why. And that makes sense, you know, to what I was talking about before. Like, it's not until the end of that scene at the bathhouse or in the showers that Kara actually says, I love you. Once he says that, I do get why Shinji sort of imprints on him because it's like, yeah, this is a 14-year-old kid and nobody in his entire life has ever once told him they loved him. Yeah. It's like, holy shit. Okay, that's why he'd be so enamored with this person. Um, but changing that and the meaning of that I do find more like, come on, like, don't change that. Like, don't. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I obviously. I mean, it's supposed, it is supposed to be ambiguous. And I think the Kara, Studio Kara's official translator has defended the ambiguity of the line in the, in the translation of making it like instead of love. And it does all mean the same thing at the end. And, you know, whether he's saying somebody liked me, but I think that like one of the Netflix translations is like, I, he said I was worthy of his grace which is like that doesn't. <laughs> well, it's a, that's only that's me. not at all what's because going that on here. expression that exp- I mean the, the 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 reason I understand that expression is that that is what a god would say to. Well, that's why I, that's why love is my favorite translation because it plays as God's love for man, and it yeah. also plays as romantic and yeah, and, know, and, gra- and it can also if play as platonic human love. In you know, the like, in the in the Bible, there's a lot of talk about God's grace and stuff, and that you know. Um, so grace is, makes it exclusively exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is that it's is, it works? They they like for God so love you know the world. Yeah, they, like that. Like other similar verses in the Bible would use God had grace on humanity and therefore sent Christ. And so it's like so it's tying in like you're saying that in a way Kaur is the sort of Christ figure right. of the angels. But you say it, it limits it to that perspective if you say grace instead of love. Right. Exactly. So I don't. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. Exactly. And that's why I just think it's silly. Um, okay. Sailors yeah. <laughs> so talking amongst each other. Just the monoliths. They've got out their script, their scenario. Nerf was the executive branch that they put into play to mm-hmm. enact their mm-hmm. scenario. So they want to gain control of it back because they feel like Gendo has mm-hmm. been. Writing his own script, they want Nerf and the Ava series to be in their true forms on the promised day. And Akari's in trouble, but he will bear the responsibility of his malfeasance towards Sele. Don't know what the so that's just like a weird fucking scene where there's no human character perspective. (laughs) It's just just these monoliths floating and talking to each other. Um, Yeah, so we okay. And now, now then, we get to, then we get the scene where Gendo's talking to... This Unit is the one. one thing I still don't understand, even to this day. He's talking to Ava Unit 1. I believe he addresses it as Yui at some point in the yeah. scene, which, which really... 
confirms what we were saying in previous episodes that Yui's soul resides within mm-hmm. Unit 1. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, the lance of Longinus that stood in the way of our desire is no more. So he really was trying to get rid of the lance. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure, even having seen End of Evangelion, why exactly the lance was standing in the way of their plan uh, coming to I, fruition. Yeah, I mean, we might need to do, maybe as part of our... We'll absolutely have to do a an episode after everything is said and done to try and untangle try the, to lay it all the biggest out. mysteries. Well, because the lance, it's like, it's like, I mean, on one hand, like we said before, there was no other way to kill that fucking angel. So, like, like Gendo had to do that. I mean, even if even if it was important to his plan, it still would have sort of... It's like, well, if the, if the angel kills everybody, then the plan doesn't fucking matter. So, use the fucking lance and figure it out, you know, like, you're, you're whatever. But it bothers Sele so much that he did it. And then he's... Mm-hmm. Now he's just fully saying, he's like, yeah, we got, we got rid of that thing. So, like, now we can do our thing. He's, he says, the final angel is about to come. If we destroy it, our wish will come true. And this and is the, this is the shot of the fucking eyeball growing out of his palm. <laughs> it's like the gate. Yeah, yeah, it is like the gate. Stephen Dorff in the gate. Yeah, just, just a, little a little longer. longer Yui. Yui. Yeah, oh. so he's calling even Unit One Yui. We see that he has Adam embedded in his hand. He intentionally got rid of the lance. Yeah. They're yeah. saying that What's he's going to pay Ray? for his malfeasance. Yeah, Ray's having a little freak out. Why mm-hmm. am I alive? Why am I here again? For what? Yeah, I know Ray. And for whom? Good questions, girl. That fifth child, that boy. That feel he's the same as me because he is because again ray's not self-aware and he is so she's still sort of struggling whereas when he sees ray he's like oh what's up you're just like me ray kind of doesn't recognize things in herself until she sees them displayed in other people that's true you know when, th- when the angel says i'm lonely she's like oh i guess that means i'm lonely too mm-hmm. you know when she sees uh Kauru, she's like oh that's what i am i got it which is interesting. It's almost like she, like she, she, even though she seems to have no emotions, it's as though she has more empathy than she does, like self awareness. Well, she hasn't had any emotions really displayed for her. You know, like this is a nature or nurture kind of question, but it's like she has no nothing to pattern her behavior on. It's like one well, of the. I think it's in the maybe it's in the Lost World or may, maybe it's in the first Jurassic Park book. But one of the things that you know Crichton talks about is like the cloned dinosaurs, like. Some of animal behavior comes from watching the behavior behavior pattern for them by the adults mm-hmm. in the you know family unit or whatever. So the dinosaurs are all kind of crazy because they were born without that part. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no societal structure. Right, there's no get, pa- behavior to pattern their behavior on. They don't get to see anything. They're just thrown in here. So That's they're really all clever, kind right? of yeah. fucked up and crazy. Which is why they attack people all the time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say that, like, it's interesting at this point, and I'm not a, a, a neurologist, and and you know, I read the same sort of pop psychology articles as everyone else does. But the idea that empathy is like comes from uh, like a certain parts of our brain that rec- that that learn to mirror other people and recognize that other people have the same capacity for feeling that we mm-hmm. do, and therefore we. And so it's like the idea that that like literally Ray has almost no self-awareness like she has no introspection about herself uh-huh. like she's just kind of experiences things she does what she's told she doesn't have pleasure or or displeasure she's kind of like a a, a, a mute sort of like yeah and then she's but when she sees emotions in other people it's like her she actually has empathy and it right. actually makes her feel things it's like she gets it back to her and that's it's interesting it's like it, yeah, and that in she some forms ways it's sort of like more heroic and exceptional when coming from ray who's never had yeah any structure like the fact that she's you know able able to do this with no training essentially you know well, like shinji can hop into the cockpit and pilot the ava 
with no training, but the fact that Ray is able to start to recognize some of these things without any training or support from society. Oh, yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, Ray's, Ray's effectively just like piloting herself. Right. At this point. It's like because, yeah, it's like she doesn't have any context for anything. And it's like, she is sort of like a, like a newborn baby Lilith's or something like soul. that. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because it's like at the core of every, you know, any human like uh, uh, experience is self-preservation and like, you know, Shinji obviously has like a sort of slightly different perspective on self-preservation than say someone like Masato does. But the idea that that Ray has zero self-preservation instincts, mm-hmm. but ga- but become comes to have you know protection, protective of other you know other people' instincts is interesting. And like mm-hmm. I don't know, Ray mm-hmm. rules. Ray's she, great. Ray is great. Okay, now I thought we were there before, but now we get the scene where where Masato is saying Pen. goodbye to Pin Pin, and it made me sad because Pin Pin reminds me of my cat. Um, he does the way she's holding him looks like like a child holding a fat cat yeah i mean <laughs> so my, my cat came kind in, of hanging sitting there. in between luke and i right now and he just he looks like pen pen i mean i it... all right so there's a some slumber party talk where unlike a lot of these we get this shot we get this with shiji and kaji we get it with hikari and asuka mm-hmm. i think this is one of the few times like where shiji will actually looks at the person he's talking to mm-hmm. because so much of slumber party talk is you're you're empowered to say things because the lights are off you're not looking at anybody mm-hmm. so people will you know chit chat and share their feelings in the mm-hmm. contemplative quiet of the night and you know it's because you don't you're kind of just saying it mm-hmm. without having to gauge anybody's response and you're always and you always wonder if the person's falling asleep <laughs> yeah, but he he flat out looks over at uh, Karu and like really, for the first time, is you know engaging him and opening up. I think it's really interesting that that Karu you know leads he like senses what he needs too, and he's like, there are things you want me to hear, right? So talk. <laughs> like he's this. He's very. I I just like the nurturing quality of Karu. Is like, his posture the same as Kaji's was when they were? Looks kind of similar. I can't remember, but Kaoru's like laying with his ankles crossed and his arms behind his head. I think that's the posture that he had when he was hanging out with Asuka on the boat. I think uh, it boat. is. Yeah. I'm, I'm really... Uh, I mean, we should do some research and see Kauru if the Kajikaru clone thing is a, is a thing. I think this is really interesting and relatable to me when Shinji's talking about living with his teacher before coming here. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about just kind of doing things and not having a purpose but that was okay because nothing was expected of him mm-hmm. so this is sort of living this amorphous life um and we you know we've talked about how I, I used to be a high school teacher and now mm-hmm. i'm out here as a screenwriter and the you know in some ways it's it is of course the dream job and but working from home and it's, it's certainly stressful and my time in georgia living like a you know uh, not in the industry. I did, did sort of feel like that looking back on it. It's like, well, there wasn't a whole lot going on. There wasn't a whole lot of, it's like, uh, am I ever going to get out of here? Just sort of like living from day to day. But it was okay because I didn't, wasn't really responsible for much. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There, there's something interesting about that. And then after coming here, she's like saving the fucking world. Yeah. There's so much to do. And how does that change your perspective on things? I mean, it sounds like he was, you know, almost suicidal of like, well, it didn't, didn't matter if I existed. It didn't matter if I didn't exist. I didn't want to die. I did not want to die. I just was because mm-hmm. I didn't have to do anything. Um, and I wonder how many people are like that. You know, society, obviously a lot of people are struggling, but I think there's a lot of people that are just kind of floating of like, you can get by, mm-hmm. you don't, you know, you're just kind of here and 
it's not like we're on the fucking planes like hunting and gathering and fighting to survive every day like a lot of us and a lot of us do just kind of drift through existence and are carried along well it's, it's yeah it's funny because i don't think you describe shinji as sending suicidal it's like very very possible i guess it's well i guess he doesn't sound suicidal but just no sort they, of they, yeah without completely any sort of sense of meaning yeah because i think if you could live that way and actually enjoy yourself sure great and i think that i think that certainly in america we're we're in, like, sort of afflicted with the constant need for meaning and for for yes. escalating you know status and stuff like that yes and i don't think that those That's things make i think that, look if you can find satisfaction in in the things that happen in to you growing a watermelon patch <laughs> well i mean just even look at me if, if if status gives you if you can be satisfied with with what you get and that means and if success is one of those things then great but asuka. it's like yeah but it's again like but if you're asuka in 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 Everything is pitched at such a level that uh, uh, failing to get exactly what you want every time you try to get it, yeah. and if not, it's the end of the fucking world. Then it's like, well, then then you're not. That's not a good way to be. I don't. I don't think Shinji's sure. lack of you know his sort of like depressed like Zen by default kind of position is necessarily admirable. But it's like you kind of want it to be the, if it could just the be the Zen of privilege. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This is it's interesting the way that like, I mean a lot of this. I mean, there's cultural differences and different people sort of read these characters different ways, obviously. But, uh, yeah. you know, at the worst, you know, everything that Shinji is saying is just beautiful and wonderful to Kaoru. He says, maybe I was born so that I could meet you. Yes, I was born to meet you. And yeah, Shinji's opening up to him. She's, you know, he's sharing stuff and, and that's cool. Um, I still, I'm still really, I, I want to know if Kaoru had a childhood or not. That really is, that's, yeah, that's that really is interesting. With me. Okay, here's that fucking scene. Um, and let's, I mean, let's just sort of run through it. We've okay. talked about the big stuff here. He's talking and about... And this is only a director's cut scene. Yes. Where Sele talks about that there's one man who's trying to have the power of a god, trying to open Pandora's box and close it before the hope at the bottom escapes. And uh, they're talking about Gendo, uh, I believe. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Of course, well, I find it interesting that when we see that Masato is watching through binoculars that she can't see the monoliths like that like right only he can yeah, see yeah because i've always wondered that exactly how that lilith that... the progenitor of mankind who are the false successors from the black moon mm-hmm. okay so lilith and people humanity are from the black moon and adam and the angels are from the okay. white moon well then it does track with the yeah that initial thing we talked about yes the true successors from the lost white moon uh-huh. see i think the moon was maybe supposed to be here and it's now mm-hmm. floating um his, his salvage soul exists only in you. His resurrected body exists within Akari. So just like we said, Adam's uh-huh. body in Gendo's hand, Adam's soul in Kaoru's body. Um, so they are talking about how there are many different versions of hope as there are humans. Maybe that's sort of like one of the problems with humanity is these angels seem sort of single-minded. That's, that supports my theory too. Whereas humanity is so multifaceted that there isn't... And that's sort of what... You know, without detailing what exactly that is, it seems like Sele has decided what is best for humanity. Like, we need to decide to guide it in a singular direction mm-hmm. because left to their own devices, everybody wants something different. Well, and that's in, the, in that some of that goes back to all the things about emotions and stuff and about like desires and expectations and like disappointments and failure and stuff. It's like these are all products of the individual will 
for this or that or the other thing. And if the angels are more of a hive mind right. of a collective of some kind, that's like, yeah, well, then, like you said, like Romuel and Satchel don't like getting a fight over, you know, uh-huh. because they both have a crush on whichever other one. It's like that's not a part of the order of that species as you know as we're saying mm-hmm. it whereas but humanity you know is this big messy thing with all these different struggling you know right. perspectives if, and if stuff seen like that. as a single yeah. organism humanity is sort of a failure because yes. it can't get its shit together it's yes. all yeah contradictory impulses so they're 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 hoping that kaoru was you know going to gonna gonna do this to grant their wish mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh we can't uh, find any data on him uh, Makoto again giving his secret spy thing Misato making him steal stuff from Maya mm-hmm. um, shocking information about Kaoru and that, that should be impossible yeah I mean I think and then, can, yeah then they're gonna go see Ritsuko uh, yes. after this who it's funny because Ritsuko basically tells them and then the next scene um, <laughs> exactly what she says happens happens and yeah. Misato's still surprised she's yeah you know, she asks kind of sad to see the two old friends at such odds now yeah um, it's never gonna yeah she says who is that boy the fifth child and Ritsuko says he is likely the final messenger the titular final messenger of this episode yeah and here goes the climax let's get ready for some oh, yeah. to joy so yeah I mean we don't have to so Kaoru calls mm-hmm. I think it's interesting he calls uh, the Avas the servants of Lilum Mm-hmm. Uh, which is humanity, and he can sync with it without even going inside the fucking thing because yeah. it's from his fucking body. Yeah, Asuka, he's just floating around. Oscar's catatonic. Catatonic in, a bed. in room three hundred three. I pointed out before, but I nice. just watched it again, so I want to call out the Matrix reference or the wait. Evangelion which room in Matrix is three hundred three? Uh, it's the one where Neo dies and becomes the one. In oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yep. So they're they're referencing this. I, they must be right. I unless it's unless it's a common reference to some other thing gotta be i mean i fully believe that the wachowskis watched yeah Yelling. i mean without, yeah. without a doubt um although the person that i want to google uh, at some point and see uh whether or not rob zombie watched evangelion is a question that that we've really? had for oh a while. oh i know yes because there's a bit here later that looks that is I mean, we can reminiscent talk of a about bit the bit from I mean, house of a thousand corpses because yeah we don't need to walk through all this stuff i don't think i mean I, but this is where things are moving so fast and furious that it's hard to keep up but it's it's largely just yes, the, the Sele sent Karu there. The last sent the last angel directly to them mm-hmm. as a surprise to kind of force their hand, um, so that they because again they want to be the ones that are you know guiding the future and shaping. Yeah, humanity. G- Gendo's been pulling some shit on Sele, and Sele finally got one over on him. Right, presumably because Gendo doesn't seem like he knew this was coming. Although weirdly, Ritsko seems to know, which I don't know why that is. But well, it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, I guess, that the you know the mm-hmm. final messenger was going to be. I don't know what it, if it said exactly what he was going to be like or what form he would take, but they knew that this angel was coming, um, and takes. Unit two down into the mail bulge, busting through all the things. Mm-hmm. And poor Shinji has to be called out in unit one to fight him, fight his friend. So yeah, the second time in the series, he's being forced yeah. by his father to pilot this thing too. Well, and he's, he's really pissed off, but weirdly, he seems to accept it more readily than he he's more pissed him. at Kaoru for he feels like it's a betrayal. He, yeah, he, he's, he's mad at first. Seemingly, he's mad at first at them for suggesting his new his new best friend. Uh, could be an angel and then it's like he processes that really quickly and says you, you know, betrayed you, you me betrayed just me. like father yeah so you know that's an interesting you know 
transference or whatever that's that's going on there. Because um, yeah, now Shinji, you know his his trademark like crazed face. <laughs> Shinji's being radicalized before our very eyes. Yeah, right? he's, he's but everyone's betraying him, and this is not going to go well for anybody to continue to do this to him. So they're descending down into the tunnel. We don't really know why they both are descending so slowly. I get slowly. why Karu and Unit 2 are descending so slowly. Float, it does seem like Unit 1 is falling very very slowly. I mean, unless like he's just unless that's just Kaoru as well. But so so this You is, pointed out I like that he apologizes to Asuka before he mm-hmm. starts fighting with Unit 2. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to fuck up her thing and her unit." So, yeah, so we get this pretty cool thing where where Shinji in Unit 1 is fighting the pilotless Unit 2. And Kaoru is just sort of floating alongside. Pretty badass image. Hands on his sides, talking to uh, Shinji and giving some of the stuff that we've already said. Right. About and he can merge with the Avas because they, you know, have. Yeah. Well, the, the Avas are born oh, of yes. Adam just like him, so he can merge with them, the, except that they have souls in them. Right. Which is the Yui thing that we've covered. But mm-hmm. then they they point out that the soul that's in Unit Two seems to have like gone away for a while or something. Closed itself off. Closed from itself him. off. So he's that's why he's able to engage with Unit Two. So mm-hmm. so given what we know about Asuka's failing sync ratios and mm-hmm. her, so mm-hmm. there's some relationship between her state and Ooh. Unit Two's state and those Ooh. two things being uh, connected. And um, wait, that giant AT field. Yes. Yeah, this that, is the little that, stuff that's you're a name that the have gave the sacred domain where none may trespass. The light of the soul is the AT field. Yeah. Ah, okay, it's the wall that everyone has in their heart. <laughs> She's like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. This is so funny that, that Shinji doesn't really understand almost any of them. No. <laughs> People are constantly trying to get to like, it's like Shinji's like, they're like, come here Shinji, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know what any of this means. And it's like, Shinji, you need to know the truth. This is something that's going to be so shocking yeah. to you. And he's like, you, you want me to, huh? huh? And there's like, Shinji, you know, it's like, no, I don't Shinji, I want to show you this tank full of rays. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the only things that stuck, that like sunk in with him. He yeah. actually, somehow like, good on Ritsuko. <laughs> he can understand that, that Yui and Ray yeah. are the same thing in some form or fashion and that's one of the only things that yeah. he's actually like walked away from like he doesn't really yeah, like anything yeah, Kuro is saying down. doesn't mean anything he's just fighting okay here's the bit that I love which is as they're falling down into terminal dogma and they know that third impact is going to be triggered if the angel reaches Adam slash Lilith mm-hmm. on the cross uh, Misato tells Makoto look if it gets if they get close self-destruct this place blow it up it's better than letting third impact happen. Yeah, so we're all we'll, gonna die. We'll yeah. all die. Yeah, but we need to be the ones to do this. And there's the really lovely moment when it almost does happen, and Masato says, "I'm sorry," and he says, "I'm okay if it's with you," and she mm-hmm. says, "Thank you." And it's just the sweetest, most romantic, unrequited love moment <laughs> in you know all of fiction for me to have him be like, you know, okay, we're gonna we're gonna all die and him to just kind of stoically say i'm okay if it's with you yeah it's really good and she's thankful and acceptive of it but he doesn't really expect anything else from her he doesn't push it she doesn't give anything else but mm-hmm. you know receives that uh in this very chaste way it's it, i think it's like crouching tiger hidden dragon it's like one of yeah, the only other yeah. like relationships like that uh there's a there's a line in crouching tiger when he talks about you know rather being a ghost by her side than entering eternity yeah. without her and uh yeah it's it's comparable for me mm-hmm. then we get the two towers shot mm-hmm. the like super wide shot of the two angels descending out into the terminal dogma which Great is very shot. similar to gandalf fighting the balrog yes as they fall down if, yeah 
in the beginning of Two Towers. I also assume that Peter Jackson has. Well, actually, we know because Weta oh, was, that's, was that's developing. Oh, Weta's developing. Yeah, so, yeah. I never I mean, thought of that. Pillars um, of Salt down here. Mm -hmm. And Karu's off. Ava Unit 2 still has some fight left in it, so they're carrying it out. We're, you know, all coming down to the end here. <laughs> Heaven's Door is opening. That's why the title. Uh, Episodes well, knocking on a, heaven's door. That's a, that's a funny reference. I mean, I, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that there's probably some usage of that phrase prior to the Bob Dylan song mm -hmm. from. I think it's like I don't know that there is late. I think it's like 1978. Maybe it was, I believe, written for the Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack album, the the Sam Peckinpah film. At least that's where it first appears, to my knowledge. Um, and it's specifically that it's knocking, like with an apostrophe, right. like um, not knocking. Knocking, right. so it's it's like that. I think is specifically a reference to the Bob Dylan song. Um, I just think it's interesting that it around the you know is this episode, and then it, that's the subtitle of the Cowboy Bebop movie, Knocking on Heaven's Door. I mean, I guess, I mean it's a, I, I so. guess maybe that's just a maybe this is a really. I mean, it's a really popular song, anyways. I think it's it's one of the Bob Dylan songs that transcends him a little bit. I think other people have covered it, and. Um, you know, it's a good song. I wouldn't be surprised if it was really... I've never really thought about how big or not big Bob Dylan would be in Japan. I mean, I'm presumably, like, most big American, you know, pop culture stuff, they, mm -hmm. would, they would like it. Although, you know, his appeal is so specifically lyrical that it's... Yo, you yeah, know. no, but, you know, you can translate. Yeah, and Knock on Heaven's Door is a good expression. So if that was, in fact... If he did, in fact, originate that and it wasn't, like, again, some reference to, like, a you know byron poem or something like that which a lot I of dylan dylan's a very literate guy so but yeah i don't know uh, but it's cool but i do yeah and i do like that it is also in cowboy bebop and i think you know cowboy bebop is really good at taking musical phrases even for music that i'm not really all that into and imbuing it with this great uh sense of importance and poetry um just for fun we just got some really good news yeah. via text uh live on the show that we can't tell you about but uh yeah damn you'll be able to listen to this episode later and and we'll and you'll know yeah but, uh, that's pretty all right try not to get distracted yeah i mean, I, mean I want to just actually fact check myself fuck okay. Se 73 is knocking on heaven's door and it was um written for the soundtrack pat garrett play the hit Billy the this is your uh gift yeah. from the sky Mm -hmm. Ultraman episode. Well, because as soon as I said it, I was Bob like, no. Dylan, fuck up, you fucking yeah, what a poser. You call yourself. Oh, I forget. Guns N' Roses covered it. That yes. might be what. That's well, no, that's 1990. Well, no, that. that I always forget that. I never listened to Guns N' Roses as a kid, but now, yeah. So that, I wonder if that maybe it was more popular. That's, yeah. That should be the uh, title of the episode. Let's get back. <laughs> Let's I know. Get back on. I think. Track. I think. I think. If you guys thought. We're taking one person out of the podcast meant that we'd get tighter and more <laughs> focused. You were fucking wrong because this is about to be one of the longest episodes, if not the longest episode, and we're just goofing. This off. is yeah, this <laughs> it's good. So you know, I mean, this, this is it's like there's a, no, there's going to be a longer cut of this episode coming exclusively to Apple. Yeah, uh, that you can tell <laughs> in limited release in theaters. <laughs> You can come and sit for three and a half hours and listen to us riff on episode 24 of Evangelion. Just, you know, like there's a whole section of just my cats talking to each other. You don't even understand it. Ugh. 
So, yeah, but the fact that Ray manifests this AT field that's as strong as the angels, that's pretty big and pretty important. I don't know how Ray got down into I don't know Terminal either. Dogma, but there she is. And here's where the big revelation happens, that it's Karu that realizes that this is not Adam. This is Lilith. Now, I don't know what, what would have happened if it had been Adam. Is is the thing that yeah, I'm still like, not does, entirely does it, does clear. Does it help? On. Is 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 his mind partially changed by the realization? Like, yeah, because he was going there, and when he sees Lilith, he's like, "Oh, I see what this is about, Lilum." And but what is that? I have no idea. What if it had been it be Adam? Different? Would it have? Because he, sa- he says that if he touches it, he does. He, all of humanity would will end. Right. Which is what they were afraid of, anyways. Right. But what did he think? What what would it, what would Adam? Would he have just been able to embody Adam? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of distru- like which one is going to if you know humanity or the angels, which one is going to evolve to the next stage, and maybe if he yeah, but even then, it seems feel like that if if angels evolve to the next stage, that would wipe humanity out. Yeah, it, I know, mean, it comes. The, there's some. It's it's you know. I'll try and find an answer to this. Yeah. I'm not sure that Well, I mean, once, once we're talking about the thing in, in totality yes. of, of what the full thing, maybe we'll come back to it. But either way, that. he's surprised, uh, and he says, he's like, what the fuck? And then Shinji shows up and, and in unit him. one and grabs him. So, and so, what's, you know, like so a, and he's given a choice here, and you can... Like an it. action figure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's gripped in the, in the giant hand of unit one, and he's talking to Shinji, and... Uh, you know, basically says he's you should of, kill me. Yeah, glad that he stopped him, and you know, it's his it's his destiny to continue to live. But that would mean the destruction of humanity. And he's met Shinji. He likes Shinji, and so he's willing to die here. And he thinks that he should because life and death are kind of the same to him. And he, uh, and he says, "Dying of your own free will is, is <laughs> this is this is a this is a, a dark, problematic phrase." Yeah. Well, this is. I mean. Yeah, just dying like, of your own free will is like the only true freedom. Yeah, and and I mean, like, sure, um, but also life and death are of equal value to me. Dying of your own will, that is the one and only absolute freedom. There yeah, is. maybe maybe don't maybe don't. I don't know. I'm curious what other translations of that yeah. say. But it also, you know, we know what mental state Anna was in at this time. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, probably. Praising the the purity of suicidal thoughts. Yeah, and he says, "Erase me from life, or, or you will be the ones that are that will be erased. Uh, only one life form chosen." To but this is life. also again what the show really traffics in is the you know, the, the pleasure and the pain, the the weaknesses and the strengths. Like humanity, like the you know the angels aren't they are if they are a singular consciousness. It's kind of like okay, so existing and non-existing kind of whatever but when you have people that you can care about mm-hmm. i don't want to die because i don't want to let down the people who love me i don't want the people who love me to die because i don't want to be without them are the existence of others and connections that we value that are something that is separate from ourselves is kind of what gives life meaning yeah so kaoru is recognizing through shinji that he doesn't have that so he's like yeah i could be dead i could be alive it doesn't matter nothing changes but for you humanity to lose humanity, one individual or the whole, something is being lost in a way that it's not. Well, and this is in this in this further. So yes, he's it, choosing humanity. Yes, and in in, in in what you're also saying supports my, you know, my theory doesn't get super specific because I, you know, but like the idea that Kaoru is basically 
just a broken off chunk of the angel consciousness that, sure. that was given a body for a period a of time to, of to go whole. test drive it on earth and talk to people it's, you know he is the christ in that way and that so like you know if you imagine especially if you imagine that uh Sally basically just activated him like yesterday that like he is um you know he's like yeah look i just came down here to check things out and i was supposed to do this thing right here uh but i don't have to do it because I don't actually have an individuated human, you know, like right. I don't like I may be sitting here in a body separate from the things, but but I am not an individual. I am just part of this consciousness. You actually are. And so are all these other people and you guys need to do. And right. I think that's I feel like it's interesting. You know, yeah, it's, it's something like Shinji's humanity and just, you know, without doing anything, you know, sort of his his beauty as a human person uh, did save the world in that Karu came here with a task to do. He himself did seek out both Shinji and Rei to interact with them and was curious about them. But in what he saw through Shinji led him to make the decision, you mm-hmm. know, in this very pacifist sort of way, like this is a weird victory for humanity, but it is just, it is just Shinji's humanity that won the victory without, without yeah. fighting. Well, I mean, I guess Shinji did have to fight so that he did, get, you know, well, like, yes, but, but yeah, but it, weirdly, yeah, that, just to slow him down. I don't know that he would have done it. He would have waited for Shinji. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. do we get do we get the I believe it is an entire minute still frame of Unit One holding him. Mm-hmm. By the way, <laughs> yeah, with the music and with everything, the music and, and the joke I was making earlier. There's a, there's a similar scene towards the end of uh, Rob Zombie's directorial debut, House of a Thousand Corpses, where mm-hmm. I believe a character's holding a gun to somebody else's yes, head. Yes, it's like a high shot, very yeah, wide, like sort of like co- execution style. Somebody's yeah, holding a gun to somebody's and, and, head, and it's in it's the same like for I think almost a minute as well. Right. And there may be music playing. We There's can't music playing. I don't know if it's classical music. It's some song I wish I could remember or some horror fan. Leonard Skinner, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, I'm just, not sure. I, but I remember, I remember see, seeing the it in the Dollar Theater and yeah. being like, is, is Rob Zombie referencing Evangelion? <laughs> I didn't put the Evangelion thing together, but I do remember that shot being pretty excruciating for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I should, I want to, I mean, I, I, I believe there's some, I don't know why we were talking about Rob Zombie so much other than that reference, but there was some Rob Zombie lore at one point that I believe that our friend Joe told me that was like maybe based on something he read in an interview one time that in the early days of like DVD, you know, like uh-huh. that, like, you know, if you were a person of means um, uh, at the time and could be an early adopter of the technology, like you could in theory own every DVD in print. Because, uh, because and yeah, yeah. supposedly up, I mean, and for quite a while, the way it, the, the Joe claims this is something he heard that Rob Zombie owned every single movie <laughs> on that, like, DVD. Yeah, that, that that he was like an early adopter of the technology and just made it his business to do that. If that's in fact true, which is also fucking cool, by the way, if you could be that guy, that'd be really cool. But like, sure. if that's in fact true, then then he probably owned even Gelly. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Well, even Gelly was was a lot later on. No, DVD. but this was told to me much later too. Yeah, I mean, because House of Thousand Corpses was like two thousand. Right. Three? You're very preoccupied with who has and has not seen Evangelion. Because it's because any it's, any sort of influence that 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 is you know similar, it's always like, well, I wonder if that person's seen. It. Trying to direct, you know. Well, because I think it's just because completely it's like, disregarding the existence of the collective unconscious of humanity. Well, yeah, and that's obviously like probably the answer nine times out of ten. But I think there's still something. So, I mean, I was just at a barbecue. No, I do think it's interesting. I don't mean to like. No, no, I was at a la- I was at a Labor Day barbecue talking to just the catching up with some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And one of my friends, uh, my friend Steve Villari 
made casual reference to Evangelion. Like he was talking about he, 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 how he'd never been out of the country. Evangelion references in the wild. Well, and he was just like, he was like, yeah, I've never been out of the States. And I was like, oh, you totally should. It's great. And then he was like, yeah, I'm not really interested in going to most places except for Japan. I'd like to go to Japan. I was like, oh, you totally should. It's great. And he was like, and that's mostly just because of Evangelion. And I was like, wait, what? I've known Steve <laughs> Valori for like, I don't know, 12 wow. years and never knew that he liked Evangelion. And then we just talked about it for like at length. That's um, great. I will say I was. So it's always just pleasing when you know that somebody. It's like, oh, that, now I can sort of recontextualize like you as a person as having someone with the knowledge of this beautiful, wonderful thing. And if yeah, you haven't, you then like, well, how do you even go about your day? <laughs> you know, how do you make creative decisions if you don't have Evangelion to rip off? I don't even understand that. Exactly. You know, um, we'll get back on track and end this episode anytime now. <laughs> but I will say I was in Las Vegas for a uh, Tom King, Mitch Garrett's signing of Mr. Miracle. And I went to an aquarium with my kids and wore my Ray shirt. Oh, nice. And two separate guys who worked at this aquarium came over to me. One, like, enthusiastically from behind me, like, I'm in Las Vegas, like, where I do not live and have never been. Yeah. And just, like, tapped on the shoulder very vigorously by this really? stranger. It's like, dude, I just finished this. Like, oh, my God. Like, wow. Like, shouting, Did you like, tell him about the podcast? He hadn't seen the movie yet. He had just finished the series. Um, my wife told him about the podcast. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> I don't know if he listened Vegas to Vegas Aquarium, it. dude, I hope you're listening right now. Right. Uh, you and know. then another guy came, and uh, I don't know if he was like, but he's like, oh, my friend just finished his show, and he was like, so is it just, you know, redacted? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I had to tell him, like, yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, that's so and good. it seemed like his read on the show was incorrect, but I didn't bother to correct him. Well, if that Vegas Aquarium dude listens to the podcast, guess what, dude? You were probably wrong. If no. But uh, it was just very exciting to wear a Ray shirt and have two mm-hmm. younger, much younger people enthusiastically, but also, you know, brokenly mm-hmm. <laughs> express like uh, their uh, affiliation with the show. Anyway. No. Well, I mean, we're basically at the end with yeah, the, the we, 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 that, that pops last. off his head like a grape. Yep. Poor Kaoru. Is successful. R. Then R. we P. have, yeah, Gone too soon. Masato and Shinji sitting out by the water. And this is on the beach, I think, probably where he met Koru in the first place. So we end as we began. Yeah. He says it's the first time someone told him that he loved him. And I do think that that is important that that be translated that way. Again, everything plays with a different translation, but the line hits harder and is more, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel that Shinji says Kaoru was a much better person than I am, which is like an interesting, it's like that's that says mm. about five different things it about does. Shinji. A, that he doesn't understand anything, in my opinion, that he's still kind of getting his head around this. He still doesn't understand he wasn't a fucking person. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, but also that's, that's, that's the degree of self-deprecation that Shinji has. That it's just like anybody yeah. who's nice to him is like, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that right. you, you can earn elevated status in Shinji's perspective very easily if you, you know, if it's right. limited to enough things. Like, you know, maybe if he'd hung out with Kaur for a week and like Kaur like, you know, chewed with his mouthful or something, Shinji wouldn't. Well, there know, are the, the abused, the abused dogs <laughs> that, you know, will bite you like Asuka. And then there's mm-hmm. the abused dogs like Shinji that just like, like yeah, roll just over. Show, and, show their belly yeah. to, to try and, Yeah. yeah. Don't hurt me. Not not to compare the Ava pilots to abused dogs, or even bring up this triggering imagery. <laughs> in uh, your no. minds. I think it's I think it's fine. But. I think it's okay. Um, but yeah, you know. So Shinji says Kaoru should have been the one that survived. But Sada says no, because the only people who get to survive are the ones who have the will to live. And if he wanted to die, you know, he, but, that but, was his choice. But neither of them are addressing. <laughs> neither of them are addressing the fact that Kaoru wasn't a person. And his will to live is irrelevant because 
if he had done it, they wouldn't have this conversation. Right, they'd be dead. Yeah, and so it's like, it's like I think that a lot of this stuff Shinji's not processing it, yeah. and it's like it's it's. And I mean, look, I don't, I don't blame him. Well, that's big picture stuff. And when you're a young person, you know, it's like, no, the little picture is, <laughs> the little picture is, I killed my friend. Mm-hmm. The big picture is like, yeah, but there's all these things of like where that had to happen, and it is, is going to be ultimately good for humanity, and blah blah blah. All the big chess stuff, the Sele and Gendo things, like that. He's only concerned with the fact that there was somebody who told me he loved me, and that yeah. person is no longer here because of something I did. Mm-hmm. That's Shinji's world. Yeah, and I think, and, it, and it, yeah, I think it's good for for you know here on in that that yeah he's processing some of the stuff, a lot of it as any nobody would be able to process. I mean, like if right now on the podcast is like, Luke, I have something I have a meaning to tell you. Um, you need to kill me, otherwise I'll destroy all of humanity. <laughs> this has been a long time coming, but you know this relationship's been really great. I learned a lot. I think you should kill me. You should kill me right now. It's like you would be like, Ben, what the fuck? And we would spend the next several hours and you would eventually get angry at me and you'd be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm and not I would gonna... eventually kill you. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, after enough time, I'm very persuasive. But it's like, yeah, that doesn't, that's not a functioning thought that a per- anyone can can tangibly get their, you know, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. So, you know, have pity on Shinji and also he's about to have a lot more crazy shit presented to him in the next <laughs> no little bit. It's shocking, you know. So, so that's that's we're hmm. down to the last two episodes of the series. Yep. Um, I would like to watch Death. Uh, yeah, we're which gonna is do the that. recap movie, and we'll do an episode on that. And that might be a good opportunity to revisit a lot of the things. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. All bets off, all spoilers, other than End of Evangelion on the table to kind of talk about and really reassess leading up to End of Evangelion. Yeah. So we'll 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 you know. Um, We'll try and keep our schedule. We missed a week last week. Sorry about that's that. That's why you get this bonus. That's yeah, why you get extra me long. singing in a Axl Rose voice yeah. and tangents about <laughs> Lilith Fair, and <laughs> Rob Zombie movies. Um, yeah, so we're, we're gonna try and stick to our schedule. Um, uh, but we we definitely want to have Kevin Phillips back on with us um, for Indie Evangelion. So At if least. we have to stall and do some extra episodes to, leading up to that, um, we will. But um, whatever. Either way, find us on you know Twitter Sync Ratios. Um, oh yeah, there was even a fan question that we yeah, didn't we'll get do a it. chance we'll, to uh, yeah, talk about. We'll do that next time. But yeah, so we'll, we've got plenty more to do. But please talk to us, send us things, tell us we're idiots. Um, you know, whatever. But uh, thanks for listening, and uh, see take you soon. care. Bye.